Welcome to Rebel FM episode 376. I'm Anthony Gagos. Joining me is Arthur Geese. Oh, I was going to try to burp into the mic, but I just couldn't, I couldn't manage it. Chandrony. Holy shit. And James Faulkner. I mean, I don't have like super burpy like food tonight. Are I we? Mean, the soda should do is it. E3 next weekend? It's I uh, Yeah, it starts next weekend. Saturday. Yeah. I'll be flying out mm-hmm. early Saturday morning. Ha <laughs> ha, lucky. Wait, it is next weekend? But so this coming EA's weekend press or the conference next weekend? starts on the ninth. Ah. There is something else Saturday, I'm my, sure. My brother in law gets in town on the tenth. It's a weird thing to say about Dennis, my friend for so long, but yes, he is my brother in law. Uh, <laughs> so there's EA on Saturday, which is EA Play, which is technically not E three, but it's E three. Um there's Microsoft on Sunday, Bethesda on Sunday. Devolvers, whatever the fuck, on Sunday. Twitch, twitch.tv slash Twitch. Uh, <laughs> on a place you can watch it. Nice. Yeah. It was so, so good uh, last year. That was so, so much that's fun. Sunday. And I'm sure that there's <laughs> going to be some other announcements on Sunday. And then Monday is Ubisoft's first, which is at like 11? Are they, or no, like 1. Uh-huh. No, uh, on on Monday? Yeah. It's, it's uh, Square Enix's first. Oh, Square Enix has a fucking press conference. Yeah, it's well, ten. they're doing like a Nintendo Direct style thing. Right? Yeah, it is a digital. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that's that's at ten, and then UB is at one. That's yes. I don't know. I have to look at my schedule because I feel like they end at three, and then they have buses that take everyone yeah. over to Sony, and then Sony's will start at five. That's cool. It's nice for me because I usually just put like I, I just I get to put it on the work at the background and kind of half <laughs> yep. pay attention and yep. I should try to get an invite to Sony's. Uh, I have an invite to Microsoft's. I'm going to talk to somebody about going to EA's. If only you knew people that worked at Sony. I do. Yeah. 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 The Devolver, whatever the fuck, looks like such a fun production to work on because it's all pre-recorded and EA's pre-edited. You know, is it looks not like it's actually always easy to get into because they have so many random like celebrities and influencers. Uh, like, yeah, it is a limited invite. theater space. It's not yeah, a huge. It's, it's yeah, not a it's, huge venue. Also, that it's a small. It's the smallest of the venues for any of the press conferences, with um, maybe the exception right. of UB. These are all the. I'm really happy that I don't have to go to those anymore. I, watching them online is quite nice. I like oh, yeah. going to them. Going and actually sitting in them? No, I, I never really, I really liked like that, that myself. I like watching them online. Yeah, well, well, I also never got to go and sit in them and just sit. I have never, uh, I've never, never been to them. I always had to go in there and be like, I'm trying to do a news thing or all this other so bullshit at the I time. I used to live blog them. Yeah, um, that too. Which is actually, I don't mind that at all. Yeah. Uh, I'd rather just go and sit. For whatever reason, Polygon just decided to stop doing live blogs, which is weird because like everybody else continues to do live blogs and they seem to do well. The only thing um, I ever got to sit and watch was the weird Connect presentation. That's the only right, thing because there was that no way to do weird. anything else. That was a Cirque du Soleil one? Yeah. yeah. Which yeah. was awesome. All the Cirque du Soleil shit was awesome. Yeah. It's once the game stuff like really took over that it I got went there with something. Brian Altano, mm-hmm. who had eaten enough edibles to be slightly hallucinogenic. Was it, and then was, was down it in the pit with all that stuff and was like, oh. Was it edibles or was it mushrooms? No, it was... It was just weed cookies, but they were very because strong. Because you had them in before. <laughs> they were very strong. Given to us by another colleague who I won't name, I guess. It's probably not a good idea. He works at a major publisher now. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, 
it's a yeah that was back in IGN days where I felt like that was 2010 I could have murdered someone and never gotten fired <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah uh, Microsoft is uh, Sunday one, I, I won't say end times I mean everyone you uh, can say times you know, well, no I, I, I can't say end times okay but it's I mean it's one it, it starts, starts at, no it starts at one I just can't say how long they are uh, they've suggested but I James knows I heard yeah. on the giant bomb cast it was an hour and a half that's how much time they I think it's longer than that my understanding is that it's longer than that. So Microsoft is at one on Sunday. Yeah. Uh, well, then don't talk about times if you can't talk about times. But, but Bethesda, no, about start times. Start times. But yeah, six thirty for Bethesda on Sunday, which is earlier than last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Devolver is at eight. Like exactly after Bethesda ends. I think, yeah, we 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 basically figured out. I I, I put that time. Right. <laughs> I figured out that time. So it's uh. It's we basically put some buffer time in there so we make sure that if Bethesda right. is done before Devolver because um, just, it's just a file that they're sending us. Yeah. When is EA Play? When EA is their Play press is I don't have it on here because we. We're, I feel like it's sometime. It's like at one. Or I think something. it sounds like it one sounds right. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else on Saturday? No, not that I know. No live streams anyway. Yeah, I think there's there's a couple press events. I don't think I will watch many of these live. I usually watch them after the fact. Uh, the PC gaming show is also on Monday. I think yeah, like so eleven. Uh, Square Enix starts at ten. Ubisoft starts at one. Uh, PC gamers at three. And then Sony. Sony is at six. Six. And then Tuesday, there's a Nintendo Direct in the morning. Mm-hmm. Then the show opens. Yep. Fuck. Yeah, I don't think I'll watch the Sony one live or any of the weekend ones. But the Sony one, the last I've gone the last couple of years, it's really intense in person. Like, because there's fucking hardcore pyrotechnics. Yeah. It I, gets extremely loud and extremely hot and extremely bright. I actually think last year the only thing I watched from the Sony one was like a compilation thing people cut together of just it games. a great press conference. Yeah, I just watched just the games. I was like, okay, there's the new announcements. And then I moved on with my life. Um, like, I don't I want feel like- to just watch a trailer for Last of Us myself. I, I feel like the companies have gotten really good at making these press conferences be... You know, way, way, way more about games. I mean, like, you remember 10 years ago or so, you'd go to the Sony press conference and the first half hour of it would be sales figures. Well, yeah, there would be like, know? it's like an investor call exactly. for a good chunk of it. I yeah. think that. That changed around like the time of the 360 area, area though, right? No, Sony kept doing. It changed their, around you know, like 2009, 20, 2010. Also, like, like, you're forgetting the Sony press conferences where, where they announced powers. Oh, yeah. And shit like that. And PS View. <laughs> And Microsoft's entertainment initiatives and all mm-hmm. that shit. Yeah, I mean, it's... I think that they went a little bit too far in the other direction last year. I think that there was too little context at both press conferences. Too little context, too much games? Like, it just... It felt like a trailer reel. Like, like so, Sony literally just played trailers, had Andrew House come out. Mm-hmm. And there was like a, there were a couple of gameplay yeah. demos that were pretty underwhelming. Yeah, um, I would have liked more gameplay for demos. There was one that was pretty cool, but yeah, um, like the more interesting stuff Sony did that was more interesting to watch as a viewer, perhaps was like the stuff they did at their show, the PlayStation One, where they'd actually have right. interviews with these devs and stuff. Yeah, and talk about, and that was like more like maybe somewhere between those two. Yeah, because that just seemed like a performance thing. They're like, how do we make it interesting for the viewers at home? And it's like, we'll have live music and stuff like that. And it's like, yeah. I just, I feel like it's actually, there is a benefit to having people on stage sort of providing a context for things. Totally. To, to talk about things in a way that makes it feel like 
there is a validity to this being present in this way as opposed to we are just running an hour and a half of trailers. I get that. Yeah. I think it's also every time you put someone on stage, it's always like a slight risk. Like, oh, yeah, they're going to say something and become a fucking meme or something yeah. else. Sure. It's got tons of technology in it. It's just like they're gonna be <laughs> I think that that's happened less and less. Like, the last big gaffe like that I can remember was, uh, I think it was the Killer Instinct demo in 2013 where the dude was playing against the woman and beating her and you said something like just let it happen oh oh lord do you remember this now i remember uh, that i don't but that yeah. <laughs> which you know not meant to be the way that it's but, but no yeah. but that's like a big gaff but i'm saying there are plenty of things that still make the thing not great like the like they're the ubisoft ones where they interview people mr caffeine or like, yeah. not even mr caffeine but like aisha tyler interviewing dudes in the audience who are just fucking so cringy that you're like yeah. i just can't I can't yeah. yeah but i like aisha tyler a lot i think she it did. wasn't her I th- fault i think she did a lot with a little in in all of those press conferences yeah, and it's she not her hosting. fault it's just that every time there's human no. beings right well those things were bad ideas <laughs> i i but also with aisha tyler it's like her performing the material that she's given well this was just her dealing with asking questions to a man who was like a wooden pole hoop. it was it was yeah. a cosplayer that yeah. they that they hired oh yeah that, and that, that's what oh, i'm saying i remember that so that's yeah. what i'm saying every time there is a human on stage it is a slight risk yeah, yeah. i i also like can guarantee that they're hiring like agencies to help them write this stuff and then like oh, yeah, no as well as like internal people who are hopefully raising their hand and being like not that don't yeah, do that. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're finalizing the, their press conferences like this weekend. I actually thought the Ubisoft mm-hmm. one was the closest to what we're talking about, where it was like yep. people on stage and games, and it yes. felt like a nice. Yes, right. it was. Unfortunately, like, and there were actual surprises there. Although yeah. I think that the the holy shit wore off very quickly to the I don't know if this is going to happen. Yeah. Things mm-hmm. like Beyond Good and Evil Two. Oh yeah, well. Um, but they also Ubisoft is the most notorious for showing shit that just disappears. Well, oh, yeah. so it someone did tweet happens. at us and yeah. say that that you that fucking laser tag thing came out. <laughs> Just so you know. yeah. It did ship. They did ship a you laser tag. You could buy tank. it in a store at some point. Also, yes. the end of last year's Ubisoft conference, we had like Eve Guillermo and like all of the devs on stage, and it was basically like, like, don't let Vivendi buy us, yeah. please God. This year they can say it didn't happen. Yeah. Now we're partially owned by a teachers' union. Which and fine. And, and Tencent. Yeah, yeah oh. it, it was like, well, yeah, because they Tencent had a limited five percent investment with the, the ability to grow it to like eight over the next five years, but mm-hmm. they specifically avoided Tencent being able to come in and do what Vivendi wanted to do, right? Right. right. But it also in that same story was like, and here's all the other people that bought shares, and it was like three percent to like the Montreal Teachers Union. You're like, huh, all right. Nice. <laughs> well, I mean, the, yeah, but they do that. That's that's normal, like for a public sector. I hundred percent get it. It just yeah. is funny for me to think that someone like my mom out there. In some way, it's got some ownership. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm sure that there are teachers' unions with stock in EA. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure my mom's never known what her portfolio is, right? And I'm sure it's all kinds of shit. Um, it's also the. Uh, never mind. Right. <laughs> Probably something you can't talk about. No, no, no. Just, <laughs> James just lost his words. No. Uh, it happens. Remember, uh, like, just speaking of gaffes, one of the ones that I remember, because it was specifically associated with the Ubi one, which Ubi has had uh, quite a few. But remember when... Uh, Remember when James Cameron t- came out to talk about the yeah, Avatar game? Yeah, that was game? the 2009. Yeah, and spoke for like an hour. Yes, <laughs> that was the same. I think that was the same Pele one. Pele came out. Yeah, and Pele oh, came out for, it? and you were just like, oh, oh man, it's time, to go play, time to go. Yes, <laughs> I mean, I get it. You're a legend, but fuck. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was a, that was that. Or that actually is a great year 
to go back in that time period. That was also like around the same time where they were like, "Here's Yoko Ono." Well, yeah, because uh-huh. they had the Beatles yeah. rock band. On. I know, yeah, but they just kept on trouncing yeah. out people that you were like, "No one gives a shit." Paul yeah. McCartney was there. Yeah, and it was just like, okay, yeah. Like, it was that. just like it was literally a time where it's like, well, let's just show people how much money we can spend, that was even actually, though we don't have anything to do with these people. That was the point where Microsoft got got themselves like was really getting themselves in trouble, like because yeah. that was you could tell. All of the warning bells that went off, like when Connect launched, and like the people like Magic were taking over, and like Microsoft was like Xbox is an entertainment brand, not a video game console. Uh-huh. Like all of that shit was clear in 2009, mm-hmm. like with the Beatles rock band stuff and everything that they were showing there, and they did the Milo presentation at that that year's. That's E3. right, they did, and they did like the first Connect demos. And and right, and then the, and well, they, bam, and there it is. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys remember? The, the, no. What don't. was that? They were like, "Do you ever want to see the bottom of uh, connect or what was your avatar's foot?" And like, oh, oh yeah. And he like he ticked it and like it spun around and like broke the geometry of the character's right. leg. And he was like, "Well, bam." Yeah. <laughs> but like that was like when it became clear that Microsoft, the people who who had assumed control at Microsoft, were just like, "This is our opportunity to both be an entertainment brand and also take over for the Wii because the Wii." Mm-hmm had started to show signs of maybe not keeping the momentum that it had. Yeah. And that was also the year, I think, where PS... That was when PS Plus was about to start, or maybe it had just started. I'm not sure. I forget what your PS Plus right, started. Right, but that was the same year that they that when they introduced the Kinect, they introduced the Avatars yes. as well. And it was right after Netflix yeah. had gotten huge on right. Xbox. And it, felt, and it felt like such a, like, oh, wait, wait, look at us. We can be the Wii, too. Yeah, uh, Sony. Sony hadn't entered the fa- the era where they had to do like hardcore damage control yet. Right at that point, but I think Portal Two was at that E three. Is that when the the Valve integration with Sony? Is that yeah. or is that? Yeah, I don't remember that E three that well. And then my it, first one. It was hmm. early the that next I, year. Attended. It was like oh, April wow. two thousand ten when the the Sony the PSN network stuff went down. The hack. That was yeah, that was one of the last hacked. ones I attended well, as a. Uh, it's oh, like, press. Yeah, it's like a press thing. Anyway. That's because 1UP used to keep the home team, remember? 1UP had the process where they still sent every article through someone to at least like do well, a quick copy edit. That yeah. was like 2008, though, because 2009. Yeah, 2009. shut down. Totally. So I'm saying, yeah, up until then. Which to me nowadays, I'm like, I don't see why more more uh, websites don't keep a home team just to do all the news all stories and stuff. Though. I was going like, to say, it just makes sense for like CMSing the news stories out of the trade shows and stuff. So. Yeah, the the last the last E three I went to as quote unquote press was with co op with Revision three that in two thousand nine. I think that was the last one we were like there every day as as quote unquote press. I miss co op. Yeah, I miss co op too. That was a tough year for Arthur and I because we were working at really small publications who were still trying to cover way too much. <laughs> not not for me in two thousand. No, I never went to an E three. For Team Xbox. Oh, okay. Because mm. Team Xbox. That's right, you joined got slightly fired after. The yeah, Monday okay. after GDC. I was a game spy, and there was like five of us, and not everyone was writing yeah. stuff. And so it was just like, cover everything. And I was like, oh, fuck Yeah, you. no, I was at home playing through uh, Infamous yeah. during that year. That was a really tough year for me because I made gross $14,000 that year. Yeah, sounds about right. Our first check from Revision 3 was for $1,000. And that was after six weeks of work. Which you can say because Revision 3 doesn't exist anymore, right? Yep. That was the worst deal we ever signed. Well, maybe someday 
will listen to you and you'll be really, really rich. And you'll be like, here was the worst deal I ever signed. I listen to that show, How I Built This, and it's always something like that, right? Uh, Where it's like, uh-huh. it's everyone that's like in that show that's very successful now has that story about how they like, you know, the guy made Cliff Bars almost lost the company because he did a handshake deal with mm-hmm. a distributor who then tried to take his company from him. Oh, like, Jesus. Stuff like that. So there's always d- things people do in their naivete. Yep. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, other E3 stuff, the show floor is open like two hours later this year. Hmm. Doesn't matter for me. No, it doesn't matter for you. Uh, I, think yeah, I mean, they're still selling public tickets, right? That's the they still are, thing. Yeah. There's also and hours where only press and only for are allowed. In. Only for the first two days, I think, though. Yeah, yeah they're doing like but the still, PAX thing ahead of time. Yeah, like that's that's but great, actually. It does, but it also doesn't matter because it's still going to be crowded as fuck. And it was it was more it was it was worse last year than I think I've ever seen it. Yeah, although in the end, it's like if you're there in your press, you're still just going to like behind closed doors demos. So it's not wait. It's not about waiting in line for me as press. Like, or it was never about waiting in line. It was always just like trying to get from one place to the other. Um, yeah, hopefully you don't have shit back to back to back. That's the also thing. like their line management was fucking awful last year. Like the the line went all the way out to the curb. Oh, right to get in. Yeah. Yeah, well, luckily last year, I don't think we, for Polygon, we didn't have someone scheduling appointments, like, as soon as the doors opened. I mean, all those things are annoying, but if you want E3 to exist, they have to sell those tickets, right? Mm-hmm. So That's fine. I, I don't know. Like, I, I guess. I think they have to, to keep interest up and stuff at this point, or else they wouldn't do it. Dude, uh, well... The amount that the, the people pay for like booths, booths and stuff and, and dues to the ESA. I agree with it, all that, but I'm saying that without the human beings to keep being there, they might those companies might lose interest and start, start sure. to withdraw themselves. But like, so. kind of like EA, I get that. Well, they definitely, you know, there's a two or three year period where it seemed like EA or EA, where it seemed like E3 was on its last legs. You know, like they had the scaled down conference that was like. Uh, a lot more of like the the business rooms and a lot less show floor. The the weird thing for me about pub, the public going to E three is that like we, I think we talked about it a little bit last year because we had people write in and ask us about it. Is that like should I go to E three? Like do I want to go to E three? Mm-hmm. I kind of want to do it. Should I do it? And like the answer almost universally is going to be if you have to pick a show to go to E three is like the worst one. Yeah, I think PAX is probably the best one because like the best stuff at E3 like the stuff that you heard press talk about and like gets big coverage you is almost all behind closed doors and by the time PAX comes around some of it is playable yeah. at that yeah. point yeah. but we also said last year and I think it still holds true for this year that um, if you're thinking about going and you've never been to an E3 you should definitely go to an E3 yeah and there's also it, this becoming more and more like a, Publicly things. publicly things like mm-hmm. they're they're shifting mm-hmm. the booth focuses for a lot of people over to these public experiences microsoft for example mm. their entire thing is not on the show floor it really? is, it is oh, yeah wow. it is in the microsoft theater and there's smaller oh. publishers who are happy to wait court so they don't people. have a booth they don't have like a- no they do it is for mixer <laughs> mm. and wait what there's gonna be a few games in their booth they've said this publicly so uh are they doing bcd at, at the p- show floor? probably there's probably probably some meeting rooms over there but they have an office they're in the microsoft theater that's in la live bananas because microsoft's like last year and the year before microsoft had the most playable demos of anybody they probably still will just at this other event i guess to me the thing is is that i if i could pick the way that ether would be set up i wish it was like gamescom like kensha hall would be used and they would just use kensha for meeting rooms 
You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's yeah. where all the press stuff would go down. Well, it's a parking lot. Kensha's a parking lot now. Yeah. Oh, that's oh true. is it? Yeah. Although that. there's like a whole second level of, of the convention center that is all meeting rooms. But that was yeah. the nice thing about Gamescom is they keep one section of the convention hall and they just give all the booth guys uh, a, a, a spot in this network of meeting rooms, too, mm-hmm. so that all the press and business happenings can go down here. And all of the awesome public shit happens out there. Gotcha. It, was, it was very nice. You could still go see the public demos, but you could also, if you need to get the one-on-one, it was always right there. Yeah. I do wonder like how much of the changes in E3 have, re- have been a result of changes in what the LA Convention Center is trying to charge for things. Yeah. Because like, yeah. I don't know that people really have any conception about how much it costs just to have like mm-hmm. a small booth. Mm-hmm. on the show for v3 yeah i don't know what the square, square, square footage it's, cost is it's like six figures for a small booth oh yeah, yeah. i'm just saying I, i'd be curious to know what the square footage cost is you know like i don't yeah. know yeah because then you're paying uh whatever event vendor to build it along with internet right. internet's being food minimums and blah 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 and, yeah like yeah. you have to buy their catering if you're there yeah like you like you can bring in outside food but you have to buy their catering you do you can't bring in outside food yeah Really? If they, they catch you, they fine you. Because oh. that definitely happened at IGN. They let, they, let us, they let us do it when maybe that's changed. Maybe it's because you were a small operation, but like one year, went, I think it was 2000. Yeah, we had to use like rolling is, suitcases and bring it in. No, but this it, is when we were with 1UP. We were like, we still got the catering, but we were allowed to bring in whatever outside food yeah, we wanted so to. Yeah, it, so it, 2010's E3, uh, this is when IGN's war room, like where they ran all their coverage, was yeah. still in the sort of upstairs area of the convention mm-hmm. center, which was fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. Aside from the internet sucking, but like <laughs> as far as convenience goes, it was great. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the, I think it was PR people or sales people that were working, like decided to go get in and out for the editorial people mm-hmm. and bring it in for lunch, mm. but they got caught. Mm. Uh, by some Teamsters, and they got fined a shitload of money Ugh. for bringing outside food in. Yeah, the yeah, for, internet is just a massive, massive thing. Yep. But it's gotten better in the upstairs area because they have Fireline, and the press room's not bad. Yeah, well, again, for broadcasting, for like for okay, well, yeah, that's different. Although the press room occasionally gets fucked over by these like these Euro press or like these tiny outlets that are like uploading massive files. Yeah, they're like, we captured all this footage in 4K and we're gonna try to upload it. And it's like, what the fuck? It's like, no, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, because um, well, they don't the, have any like offsite place to do it. Yeah, I would be super curious to hear if anybody's listening who went as you know just a rando gamer last year like you were one of the public tickets and bought it like what was it like for you to go there did you try to wait in any of the massive lines did you I just mean, walk around and see what you could play i would just be curious to hear from people in that experience last year was the first year they did it unlike pax i mean the first couple of years i went to pax i went just as a person yeah and waited in all the lines yeah lined up to get into the convention center every day and i, yeah. I still loved it yeah, it was yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I don't think I can go to conventions anymore without being an exhibitor or having, like, <laughs> special access. You get so privileged. <laughs> but it, yes, but it's also just, like, I've, I bet did the other thing, and now it's just, like, I don't, I don't want to do that. That's not what I see as fun. It's not, like, I think when you're on the outside, that stuff is, is fun because you feel like this is, I'm, this is how I'm participating in mm-hmm. the hobby is like waiting in line to do this thing with these other people. Yeah, and, and I also that, picked up all the bullshit that I wouldn't touch anymore. You know what I mean? Like 
Those years like all I was, the swag. Oh yeah, I'd grab every little piece of it, you know. And, <laughs> and I had my not, big old bag that I toted around. It's not the shit shit on that. It's like that's a way that you feel a connection mm-hmm. to things. Yeah, I was with, I was with two of my friends, and we drove all the way to Seattle to go to this thing, and we fucking were like, we're making the most out of this because we got a hotel yeah. and we paid for it out of pocket, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I think my connection to conventions now mm-hmm. is through through work, right. and like going as a fan is not interesting and to like, me. Relate like the relationships you have with the people who are working. Yeah, show yeah. as opposed to. The the people who are attending the show yeah there, there's a weird thing there's a weird like calmness to the show floor or like any of any show if you're an exhibitor and you're just like, hanging out beforehand because it's like you're all been in the shit like setting up like till the last second before those doors open and there's yeah it's just a, it's just a different relationship and then you're trapped yeah and then you, and then <laughs> you're staring at the same fucking like a fucking rigging above your head for the <laughs> next four days <laughs> Um, E3 has gotten quieter decibel wise, I think. Yeah, because the they have they years. come around and measure. Uh, you can't have a, I forget what the decibel level is, but they yeah. come around with a meter and they put it up in your booth. And they're like, "Are you gonna go louder?" And we're like, "Maybe a little bit." And they're like, "Okay, when are you, when are you gonna do your audio test?" And they'll come back and they'll yeah. check your meters. Yeah, that that and the booth babe thing, I think, are two very positive. Moves. Yeah, because I, I definitely remember. I mean, I feel like Nintendo still does it. <laughs> like they I don't mean, scantily dress them, but Nintendo's they, is sure. weirder. But I do remember, like, definitely back in the day, you would walk through a particular hallway where there would be like you know Epic on one side and it on the other, both like blasting metal as loud as they possibly could to drown out the other guy, and it was impossible. And they would have to have like their demo rooms inside their booths would have to be soundproofed to oh, protect yeah, you from the other, from the outside of the other, from everything going on outside. It was insane. It was so loud. Like you'd walk out of the, you'd walk out of the hall, out of the main display hall, uh, with your ears just ringing. Like you've been in a concert all Sounds, day. Man, that's like Gamescom is still. <laughs> yeah. I feel surprised. like Nintendo gets a pass on that though every year. They don't mm-hmm. scantily clad them, but they hire women specifically because, they're pretty, it seems like, and they put them at these booths instead of putting people who are like informed about the games they, to demo them. They're generally pretty informed about the games, but they are like representatives contracted for that event, and they are universally attractive women hmm. with like maybe one or two dudes thrown into uh, measure. Recently, they've been even. It's been evenly. At least from I saw. I didn't go out in the main booth. I was in like their separate press. Yeah, no, this is like out like in the public booth where they have like. Anytime it's like a, a mobile thing, it's like someone essentially chained yeah. to the hardware. Sometimes literally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, sometimes literally. Yeah. They, they literally will have a wristband attached to their 3DS. There are still like accessory makers that have fairly sexily dressed yeah. women there. And occasionally you'll see like a sexily dressed dude there. And you're like, oh, this is so that you can say that this is not a booth, babe. Because it's just costumes. Yes, it is a far cry from like the Saints Row booths of yore and stuff like that. No dildo bats to be found. Um, But yes, uh, video games. Anyway, I didn't realize that Microsoft stuff was going to be off-site so much. Anyway, if you had, if you did go last year, or if you're going to go this year, write us and tell us about your experience. I mean, if I if I was just an enthusiast in the LA area, why not? Yeah, I don't know how much are tickets. A hundred and two hundred, I think. I don't know. Cheaper than Disneyland. Yeah, I don't know. I, maybe per day, though. Probably. Yeah, I think that's that's got still be cheaper than Disneyland. Yeah, <laughs> but it's way more expensive than packs. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but I bet you can still buy E3 tickets. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> packs is like increasingly just one of those things where it's like. 
Good luck. Also, yeah, I don't know. It just downtown L.A. sucks. Yes, it does. I don't hate downtown L.A. It's pretty gross. It's gotten better. It's I gotten mean, the better. L.A. Live area is like there. It's great stuff downtown L.A. I just like, yeah, the, but, like, like the fashion uh, district and all. It's just nah, nah, nah. But if you if, if you're gonna go and you can rent a car, you should do so. Yeah, Japan, uh, Japantown, which is on the other side, of the art district. Art district's amazing, but that's on the other side of downtown. Koreatown is wonderful. Yeah, but I mean, like the pres- the prevalence of Uber and Lyft have also really changed the way mm-hmm. that people sort of hang out around E3 and like attend things. Yeah, E3. a lot of people end up in Hollywood, and it, yeah, I mean, or Silver Lake. Like yeah. it used to be that like if you wanted to cover E3 as press, like you needed to stay near the convention center. And if you didn't, you're fucked because getting a cab in LA is a, is a nightmare. Yeah. But now it's like, stay wherever. Stay yeah, it's way better than you anywhere. Be. Anywhere that's like a 15 minute drive is like totally reasonable. Yeah. Um, although getting out when the show closes is always the worst. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Having a car rental is not a bad idea. One thing about LA is parking's, there's always a parking thing. Parking at the convention center is fucking expensive. It's a vacation. You've got to be in that vacation mindset where you're like... There's, there is the, the train that stops right by the convention center, though. Yeah, the, the, the new metro. Yeah. It's cool to get robbed. No, it's actually nice. Like The, the one that goes from, out to Santa Monica is very nice. The LA one is very nice because nobody uses it. Ah. And it's like brand new. <laughs> but that only, that's only like a year or two old. Uh, yes, yes. I remember that being constructed now. Um, so yeah, has anybody actually played any video games? I, well, I wanted yes. to say I finished that game Far Lone Sales that I talked a little bit oh, about. Yeah, I was like, and I'll just say that I thought that game was pretty cool when I talked about it last week. I finished it though, and that game is like, if I had to make my short list for like the best games I've played in like the last year, that would be like in my top five. Wow, nice. it really comes together as you go along, mm-hmm. and you realize like. The Eurogamer review of it is, actually shares a lot of my opinions, and it's just like the music is perfectly orchestrated to moments. Like mm. you can tell that it is a very crafted soundtrack, and the gameplay like manages to stay really interesting with the puzzles they constantly introduce you to. And th- that character never speaks any lines, and has like barely any animation. And by the end of it, though, I was fucking crushed. That oh. game is closer, in my opinion, to something like Brothers mm. than. Like a, a it sounds kind of like, like swords that. and sorcery. Yeah, it's just like you're just going through this adventure, kind of walking along and doing the same sort of things and puzzles. And the world behind you is always telling the story. A lot like the mm. way like Limbo and Inside are. Where mm. You're just like, what the, this is a weird fucking world. Yeah, and or Little Nightmares. Is that yeah, Little Nightmares. Name? Yes, it's like a lot like that. And just when you get towards the end, there was a couple parts I was playing it where I was like, are they really going to do it? I think they do, and they do, and you're just like fucking a man this game makes you feel things yeah. by pushing a single button and <laughs> nothing else other than brothers and like limbo and stuff has done that for me mm. so i cannot recommend that game enough i feel like that game's gone largely unnoticed because mm. there's a bajillion awesome games coming out all the time yeah but that is like one that i absolutely think people should play like right on i hope it comes out the consoles so that you can have a chance but if you don't have a pc yeah but it is totally worth like the three hours it's so funny like that. talking about games like that on this podcast because now I want to play it, but I'm like, but if I play it, I can't talk about it because we already talked about it. I would totally be interesting it. if you thought yeah. it was, if you thought it lived up to any of the words that I just said. No, I just feel like I, I feel like this obligation to dedicate the bandwidth I have for games that are not Dota, <laughs> uh, to things that other, that we haven't talked about yet. 
Sure, but I, I, I still feel think, no such obligation. I mean, it's got, it's beautiful <laughs> well, to you. It, for you as an artist, I'd be curious what you think is the art style because to me, it kind of looks like a concept art brought to life. Hmm. And I thought that that was a really interesting take on the way that it looks. Uh, and stuff. For me, concept art brought to life are battle text cutscenes. It is very battle oh, tech cutscene. Yeah. So yes, I follow I follow all the concept artists on Twitter. She does amazing stuff. Who's um, concept artist? I will. I look up her full name. The one for Battletech. Mm-hmm. Cool. But yeah, I also played that game House Flippers. Oh yeah, yeah I downloaded that, but I haven't played it yet. That does seem like a game that Anthony would play because he I has was, a Steam Press account. It's a dumb. <laughs> ste- it's a dumb simulation game where you're uh-huh. literally. At first, you're picking up jobs like fixing up someone's garage, and you're like using tools to like clean mm-hmm. and like throw stuff away. This is the same people who made a game that was about crime scene cleanup. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and eventually, though, you get earn enough money you can buy a house, and then you're like doing things like stripping the paint off the walls, cleaning up infestations, pulling out certain pieces of furniture and replacing them and the more you start to furnish a house you'll see potential buyers on the side who are like oh i like dark it's colors flipper flop <laughs> yes it is basically flipper flop turned into a game and so you are and then when you put it up for auction you never know what it's going to go for and that's the moment the flipper flop moment that being said i find it incredibly fucking tedious because you mm, literally are like you don't say roll the paint and paint the walls oh wait go back and fill up the paint roller, roll the paint. And I'm like, oh, oh this is a little too much. Like, so it's like, not just, it's real really this is simulation. Work. Yeah. You've, you've put work into a video game. <laughs> yes. And I know there are a lot of games that are that, like, yeah. but somehow this one just hits like a certain threshold of it where I'm like, I get it. Like they gamified it where I'm getting skill points. It's like paint two sections of the wall instead of one with your paint roller. Cause you leveled up your painting skill. <laughs> like, multiple coats. And I'm like, uh, you, as you paint it, you can see it getting darker and you can stop and make it like only like light pink or you can fuck it up. But you have to like, Do you have to, can you prime it and then paint it? Pink? There's no priming. And yeah, definitely people that fuck this game. That's exactly what someone said to me. They were like, you can't, you don't have to prime it. Fuck it. Like, it yeah, reminds you, me of like watching Tyler play my summer car. It is a lot like my summer yeah, car where you know? my summer car, like you literally have to move every single bolt, like and every single screw out of like a drawer onto a table and then like screw it into an engine block to add stuff in it looks like and the controls are like awkward and tedious to make every task way harder than it would be if you could just like hold it with your hands this has a little bit of that vibe except a little (laughs) bit easier but it's definitely like you know i think if you're like into like designing the look and layout of a house you could Mm -hmm. get a little enjoyment out of it but yeah, case, I, I would want it to be same. less. Yeah, I would want it to be like a little bit less hardcore simulation, and you know, a little bit more like PC builder. Yeah, exactly. PC builder was like a little bit easier, and it was more just like <laughs> about like the weird stories you would encounter and stuff right. like that. <laughs> um, yeah, this one's just a little bit too simmy. But if that's mm. like up your alley, <laughs> you're like the type of person who enjoys farm simulator, or truck simulator. Like more power to you. I I was unfortunately not feeling that so much gotcha well, um then maybe i won't maybe i won't play it because i downloaded it just because it looked like oh maybe this is pc pc builder but you know like the the home version of it james you look like you found oh yeah I can, yeah what's her name uh jen and i'm gonna uh Rav, ravenera j-e-n-n uh, r-a-v-e-n-n-a ravenna ravenna that, that name sounds familiar That's, i don't think uh, i follow them but maybe i should yeah, uh, I don't follow a ton cool. of concept artists on Twitter. I follow I follow Claire Hummel. Mm. Well, Jen Ravenna, I like your art. Claire worked on a bunch of Microsoft stuff and now works at Camposanto, mm. doing like a bunch of art and visual design for. You mean uh, Valve? 
<laughs> well, they're still like their own separate yeah. team. But yes, now she works with Valve, so she left Seattle to move back to Seattle. Apparently, uh, yeah. That they, that game sounds tedious, fucking tedious. <laughs> Why not yeah. just get a job painting houses, <laughs> make more money? It needs to. It needs to have some kind of quirk to it, like you know, job simulator or something. It does. is a little weird after the crime scene cleanup game, whose name escapes me, but I know what you're talking about. I think it's called crime scene cleanup. <laughs> I don't think I it's think cleverly it's close, named. But I think, I think it's it was in space, though, so it was like space crime cleanup. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't like it. But you literally do some of the same things, like mopping, and it's, <laughs> it's definitely somewhat recycled. Um, well, I mean, you put all that work into the, the base idea. You want to squeeze some more out of it. Yeah, I just feel like there's a ton of games that I keep checking on Steam all the time, and it's like, this is overwhelmingly positive. This is overwhelmingly I'm like, what? Like, these fucking games I've never heard about. You know, it's because, you know, they develop a fan base around them, and that's cool, because, I mean, I hope it means that more games are finding success on Steam than it seems like. Yeah. That's my hope, anyway. Well, the, um... There have uh, been multiple crime scene cleanup games. Of course. <laughs> You're thinking of Viscera Cleanup Detail, yes, I, I am. think. Uh, there was another game Viscera called Cleanup. Serial Cleaner that came out last year. Uh, but Viscera Cleanup Detail is the one that takes place on like a space station after like a like a. It's alien like you're basically massacre. following up Doom Guy. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and it's like this like really bloody fucking disgusting mop that yeah. you're using to clean shit up. <laughs> and there's occasional monsters I think that pop up and yeah. like yeah. Good good memory on that one, James. <laughs> That's really all I played that wasn't you know siege siege or some battlegrounds. I I played a little bit about. It. I'm just always curious when they put out new patches. Yeah, just to try out the changes they made. So. Yeah, uh, I played some more Wizard of Legend. I bought yeah. that. I haven't tried it yet. Uh, I am enjoying. I bought it. it after hearing you talk about it. I am enjoying a lot of buzz. Yeah, I'm enjoying it a bit more. Um, get, getting better at it. I did uh, not get a chance to listen to last week's episode. What roguelike, uh, where you get different spells, uh, and it's like a combo based fighting cool. dungeon it's like crawler. The Magicka magic system. Yeah. I see, but not not so much hurting yourself, and it's more right. like <laughs> let, let's goofy you more more like look cool. Do throwing out all these elemental spells in, nice. into this dungeon. Do you do you, uh, do you get fat finger syndrome by trying to hit all the right button combinations like in Magicka? Uh, not really, because it's not the same type of combo system. Because it has like gotcha. cooldowns. But it, oh, okay, it, when you when that game when you pop off in that game and like, you're you're getting your your like spell combo or your like your rhythms right. Like you'll be like throwing an ice spear, pulling them back with something else, throwing them up in the air with like the soup a suplex, and then like like throwing out your super, which does a bunch of damage with his fire or something like that. Cool. Is it, it co op? Yeah. It yes. Is, right? Yes. There's awesome. it, uh, local co op only. I think. Yeah, I bought uh, it on Switch, so no. we'll see. Ya. It breaks my heart a little bit that we talk about Magicka instead of Nox, but nobody remembers Nox. I do remember Nox, but Nox was like so. Nox more than Diablo was one of my first action rpgs I yeah there. like hmm. nox was there was there were like a few high profile pc action rpgs that came out in the interim between diablo and diablo 2 as people tried to take advantage of like all the interest for another diablo what's up at so trying to charge uh i don't i think my cable is in my bag um it's that bag you can hand it to me and i can look for it how dare you, Matt? Uh, 
Binox. And so there was another game that came out that seemed maybe a little bit like that. Uh, or not, I guess. It's just like an overhead roguelike PC game that just came out that's getting some buzz called Moonlighter. Yeah. Yeah. Which cut your, that's also like you're a shopkeeper, and then you go out and crawl dungeons to find stuff for your shop. Door yeah. stuff for your shop. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 there's like that. There's like several little indie games that have come out. Um, I, I, I want to try Moonlighter, but I, I'm i paranoid of starting anything, any indie game like that that seems like a major time investment. That's become a mental block I have, like with indie games. Like, I don't want to invest. 40 fucking out or feel like I have to invest 40 hours into a game like that. Well, State of Decay, I would say, is a pretty small team game, but. But it's also building on investment I had in, the in first that idea one. from the first one. Yeah. Um, that's true. I was uh, gone for the last five days, so I haven't really got to play any more State of Decay 2. How much did. You didn't. You weren't here last week, though. Mm-mm. So um, I'm curious what your thought. Did you play the first one? Barely. Uh, what are what are you thinking about that game so far? Uh, right now, I'm thinking that I have fun in co-op and I don't have fun single player. Okay, so why is that? Um, because I feel like uh, it's too tedious to go out and gather stuff and come back and gather stuff and come back. And when you have a second player that's helping you do it, it goes from tedious to fun. Um, not just because you can gather more resources, but because, you know you can you can plan things you can be like all right well we're gonna go in and do this okay i have some molotovs i'm gonna throw them first all right i'm gonna go around the back and open the door and you know like just the strategizing with another person is a lot more effective and it adds like an extra element to the gameplay that just doesn't exist in single player i guess with most zombie encounters i just don't use weapons i use cars <laughs> yeah, um, you like, do. Uh, you do a lot of car running things over with cars. Like when for I sure. get to an infestation, I'm not like, all right, I'm gonna park over here and sneak in, and then like throw a Molotov cocktail in and like start some shit. I'm like, no, right. I'm gonna drive up front and honk my horn. Yeah, until all the zombies come out, like <laughs> just like crashing out of the window. And right, I'm gonna run them over. Right, and infestation taken care of. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> um, the I find like yeah, because I kind of find that you know the way that you're your bases have a drain on resources. I thought I thought at first it was like, oh, I'm capturing a base and then I'm capturing the ones next to it to sort of like build it out and create a safe area. Right, yeah, that's but, not at all. And that's not at all the way it works. And the game doesn't really tell you that. So I was like wasting resources capturing bases that I shouldn't have been capturing. You, so you mo- did you move homes? Like Not yet. I'm, I was just about to, but then I, you know, I was gone for five so, days. So... Um, Instead of moving a home, I would really only move a home if you really need to, because you may as well just like move to a new area, Mm. like which is like a new map. Yeah, a whole new map. Um, Yeah, especially if you spend a lot of time in one place. Mm -hmm. But you should write down which of the areas you've been to already, because you can leave a county Mm -hmm. and then accident and then come back to it. Oh, accidentally. <laughs> because like I, I moved from my my starting area to a new area and mm-hmm. then once I was in that new area I was like, Well this I've I feel like I've done everything here and so I'm mm-hmm. gonna research a new place to go and then I research a new place to go and it's like two places I'm like wait, I can't remember which of those is the one that I came from. Uh, and of course the one I selected is the one that I had already played. Yeah. And so then <laughs> 
I have to spend resources again to search for a new area mm. and then wander around for a while as I fucking wait for it to get back to me so I can go to the area I haven't been to yet. Gotcha. So so the game doesn't have really a, a linear kind of progression. It's just moving from map to map. Yeah, and I think because you can start in any of the three areas. Right, yeah. Like, when you start the game. No, I knew that. And then I just figured that, like, whatever one you were in, you you would just, like, knock off these maps one at a time, you know, and then the game would be over. Yeah, but I think that it wants it wants to give you the choice of going somewhere. Um, and once you go back to a place, like, it's repopulated. Sure. Um, but I just, like, I wanted to see a new space, and so I got st- stuck waiting so I yeah. could go to a different place mm-hmm. instead. Well, good advice. Um, you saw that there is a way to move stuff from the trunk of your car to your stash. I did. Yeah, that was that was uh, a huge relief. <laughs> like like pulling up to a parking spot in a home that you own and just being able to like click move something into your stash without actually having to get it out of the car. Because I was like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's huge. I'm still enjoying it. I want. I want it to move. Yeah. Like I want it to advance. Right. <laughs> like I have my leader. I want it to fucking give me my leader quest so I can finish the campaign or at mm-hmm. least like advance the story because like stuff is happening. Mm-hmm. Like, and there's like the sort of radio play story going on in the background of like, Oh, maybe red talent is bad or maybe red talent is good or, Oh, mm-hmm. like this is the network and all that shit. And like, I'm interested in that and I want to know what happens, mm-hmm. but it's just not giving me like the prompts to advance the story at the rate that I want to. Mm, yeah. Um, I definitely feel like even even the few hours that I've played, I don't know, I, I think I've probably played seven or eight hours of it. Um, and I've gotten to the point where it's like, okay, time for you to assign a leader, you know. Um, even just getting to that point, I'm already feeling like, all right, where's the next step? Because I feel like I've already done the thing where I go and get resources and bring it back. And try to take over a place that, you know, will give me a daily tick up of the resource that I need the most. Um, so I've stabilized, like, my community or whatever. And then it sort of implies that there's going to be this interesting stuff going on between the dynamics of the personalities of the people that back at base. But all it really is is, like, you've lost three food because these guys were in a fight, you know. Or you've lost this. Like, none of that really seems to matter all that much. They're just sort of, like, random events. It seems a little too easy to keep morale at a place where things aren't going to go bad. Yeah. Like, because my morale is, like, now always empowered. Mm-hmm. Like, it's never moderate or bad. Mm-hmm. Like, it's always, like, not just green, but very green. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and part of that, like, the the thing is that everybody has, like, different personalities and those mean that they're subject to different things like if you have low food like some people have take a different morale morale penalty mm-hmm. um and if it's cold because you don't have heat like other people take a heavier morale pr- penalty and so like when you go to a character it lists their buffs and debuffs to mm-hmm. morale yeah um and i just have so many green that apply to everyone that mm-hmm. like everyone is fine right yeah it seems like uh the things that i i kind of hear about this game is that the game is like initially like managing shit and crisis and making the best out of a bad situation but you can overcome that largely right. and it's like maybe that's not a good thing to be able to always overcome it well i see like i also don't want in you know i play games for escape and you know like i don't want to like oh by the way your base just got destroyed good fucking luck you now you have to start over i'd be like well why am i playing this game then you know yeah. so it's like i i but what i do want is some kind of sense of 
uh, A to B progression because the, the the go out and get stuff and bring stuff back. Once I've done that, I've done it. I feel like there's middle ground between no sense of loss or no sense of danger and complete loss. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in this, like it's not actually that hard to get to a point where your base is never in danger where like, gotcha. even if it's under siege, like you don't need to be there because like you've got so much ammo and so many guns and so many weapons that, mm-hmm. and so many people mm-hmm. that like they'll take care of it. And not only will they take care of it, but the game tells you that they will take care of it. Right. Um, well, and I kind of like that in, you know, like fallout where if I set up a bit enough base defenses, I spent enough resources and got enough people with enough gears positioned in the right places, then uh, then they really could take care of themselves. But I feel like, you know, uh, I had to do a lot to do that. Um, and I had to do that through every community that I wanted to be a defensible community throughout the wasteland so that I didn't have to go back and manually defend it every time. But in this game, you only have one home that you need to defend instead of it being like a whole community of you know, defensible positions or something like that. Yeah. I think in some ways it feels after having spent like 30 or 35 hours with it, like it feels a little more iterative, iterative. Right. I would have expected over the last one. Yeah. Um, but also I feel like some of these problems are just exacerbated by the fact that to do like a playthrough, it takes so long. Yeah. And there are multiple ways to play it. Like, and mm-hmm. every leader has like a different sort of set of missions that it wants you to do. Um, I kind of assume that would be the case. That's very cool. Uh, like the sheriff, like there's like murder mystery shit, and a lot of it's just fetch quest stuff going back and forth. But like, sure. still, I'm still interested in seeing what happens. And like, yeah. like I was talking about on the show last week, like some people tried to eat me. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and that, like, I saw it coming, but it was still like interesting when it happened. Mm-hmm. But it, I think that the fact that all of this is stretched out over so much with so much tedious shit in between because you have to, like, upkeep everything while you're waiting for shit to happen right. is kind of undermining it a bit. Mm. And I also, like, even more so, I just feel like the way that this game was treated by the press is, like, this big tentpole release. And honestly, like, the way that Microsoft treated it in the preview cycle is, like, a huge release undermine this game. Gotcha. Because they set expectations for it that it was just never designed to meet. Right. Because the last one was such a kind of breakout hit that, you know, they probably felt like this was something that they should push. But it also like came that. out of nowhere. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, the last like, one had a three-screen I mean three booth at PAX in a corner. You know, <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it didn't um, have ads on every and website. Only and only at PAX West because right. it was like they were, That's they were where they're there. dev. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Whereas this is like, if people had done like six months of previews of Stardew Valley before Stardew Valley came out, like how would that have affected like the way that people react to it when it came out? Yeah. Like, or Frostpunk. Like, well, except that there's more to Frostpunk. There. Right. Well, this game's like, like this, this game is not very obviously not the same and not even the same story, but it's been pushed into a spotlight that maybe you shouldn't have in the same way that uh fucking the space game was like the no shouldn't man's sky. no man's sky you know i'm not like, i mean it's not it and it's not, not their own doing no no, no, no yeah but i'm saying that in some ways no man's sky's expectations were bigger and, than that studio was ever going to deliver and it, i don't feel like undead labs tried to sell this game as something that it was absolutely no, not they did not but i do whereas like no man's sky like, absolutely did that language absolutely coming from the developers like about what it would be and and ultimately what it wasn't but 
but I still think that when you have like these big AAA pushes behind a game, like it creates these expectations, not necessarily in the fan base, but in the in the press of what kind of game it's going to be. Yeah. yeah. And if it's not exactly that, then you're going to get the shit kicked out of you for it. Yeah. Um, that being said, I am kind of curious to check out No Man's Sky when the big update comes out. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it's finally a place thing. where I'm like, okay, yeah. And well, and I want to, I want to play the multiplayer thing. I want to like, because you know, there's a little bit of base building stuff. There's the, uh, you know, you can actually build a base inside of a ship that you can take with you. My understanding that is you can cool. kill other players and take their resources. I'm like, oh, yeah, all right, <laughs> if you can find them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, so yeah, I'm looking forward to that. The only other thing that I really played was uh, um, I played probably another five or six hours of God of War. Mm-hmm. <sighs> that game just keeps getting better. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. Yeah, it's very good. Like uh, every time I unlock like new powers and go to new areas and uh, the like, the slowly evolving relationship between him and Atreus that seems tied to not only leveling up Atreus, but progressing in the story, you know? Um, it's really interesting. And, like, uh, I think it's uh, it's positively brilliant the way that they've sort of rewritten the Norse mythology to fit the game while still f- feeling like the same... Like, it's still the same source mythology, just like they did with the Greek mythology yeah, it in the is, other games. it's doing the same things... Yeah. that the original games did with Greek mythology. It's but it is doing it in a slower, more subtle way. Yeah, maybe not more subtle, but less ridiculous. I well, just, and it's there's like, more resources dedicated to it. Yeah, like in God of War one through three, it was just like, holy shit, it's this god, isn't this awesome? Now rip his fucking head off. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes literally. Right, and or this one, and this one. Apart. Well, and this one is like, oh. Yeah. Here's this. Here's these two gods that like you've run into a few times, and there's something going on in the background here. And oh, by the way, here's a third character that's going to sort of travel with you for a while, who's going to give you a bunch of background on these guys that you keep running into once in a while. Oh, by the way, like these dwarf brothers that you keep running into have their own separate storyline and can fill in other worlds behind that. And like the way that it all ties together is extremely appealing. Like there, there isn't a wasted moment when it comes to characterization and storytelling in this game i've only played like an hour god of war i got to the first couple of combat sequences and was like oh i don't like this and then i the other things came out and i stopped but give i do plan on going back i would give it like another hour and see if it clicks yeah, yeah i'm not saying the combat's bad it just was like a little bit jarring because i was like oh this is not what i, I want think the combat is war. fun i think it's never amazing like, and i feel like uh people that like souls games really like it because it's much more closer to that and it sounds like it's actually a lot closer to uh it as someone like souls game is a lot looser than a souls game well, obviously, you get, yeah. obviously yeah. it is not souls combat yeah but the perspective is way closer right. to souls perspective the perspective is and but, it's actually a lot yeah. closer to uh what was that game that you liked about the woman who was dealing with mental issues Hellblade. Oh, yeah, Hellblade. Hellblade. Yeah. It's, it's a lot closer to like that, right? Yeah. It's super close pull to the shorter yeah. so people can flank you it's and, already yeah. for camera position yeah that or too. Gears of War camera. Yeah, they, they directly reference RE4 for their camera angle. Um, the do- and structurally, the actually, it's a lot like Resident Evil 4. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I'm, at, I'm finding that now... I'm at the point now that I've unlocked basically all of their abilities for both him and Atreus. And... Uh, the And then, like, the amount of gear that you can attach that all... There's, like... 
these runes that you can put on your axe that give you entirely new moves that you can use, like that work completely differently. Um, One of which from, boggles my fucking mind that it's not just an upgrade, like a permanent thing. Like, oh, that like you just unlock these moves. Well, it's because they use the same buttons. No, it's that you don't. That it's not unlocked as a permanent ability. Like slow mo. Yeah, the witch time. Yeah. mechanic. Like it. Beca- it feels so indispensable when you have it that it was a real. I, point I, to I, let uh, it go. I didn't really need it. I didn't use. I haven't used it either. I, I used. It, <laughs> I, I I tried it and I was like, I like the other ones I'm using better. Yeah. Yeah, I've switched it out with different things. And the fact that you can spend experience on upgrading those movesets. So not only can you not only can you use apply the gems to your axe and like use specific moves that you actually enjoy more, but you can spend resources into those gems to upgrade them so that they become more and more effective. Like there's one that I love using, which is like this super hard slam where he just slams his axe on the ground and creates like a little bit of a wave in front of him. Oh, you're talking about and, the power moves. Yeah, and it's holding R1 and then you hit R2, which, by the way, like, I love the shoulder button combat. It feels so good. Yeah, that also but, throws like, me off. It's great. Hit. I mean, early it, on, I'm getting hit all the time because I'm yeah, trying yeah, to... Yeah, fine if that's but you the only really, game you're playing. If you go back to another game and then come back to God of War, there were definitely moments where I'm like, wait, why aren't the attacks working? And it was like 30 <laughs> seconds from like, oh, right, because I'm not hitting the fucking shoulder buttons. Yeah, that's but how this game the, works. Uh, the, the thing that I love about it is that the controls are mapped to the way that the attacks feel, you know. So it's like, right, so it's like R one swing and like a boot stomp or something for R two or something. Right, like that. exactly. So it's like the Gazoonite. Almost. Yeah, okay. No. <laughs> Looks like there's almost the second one there. Yeah, I saw it happening. But uh, anyway, like there's this attack that I that I love where it's like, uh, like hold L one and then hit R two and uh, he'll slam on the ground and you can keep pressing R2 and he'll do three of them and you upgrade it to where he does like five of those and the last one is a huge one and then you can upgrade it again you know so it's like if you really like one particular move you yeah, can you invest can really lean into, into it. it yeah and then his armor sets allow you to invest in things too like that that particular attack is a runic attack so if i feel like i'm going to be using that a lot i can equip basically an entire set that like gives me bonus to my runic stat to make that even more effective yeah so you know there's uh there's so many things to love about the combat in this game. Um, and in the beginning, uh, you don't really get it. Like, the, the game absolutely comes into its own the more that you play. I also think if they introduced all of that at once, it would have it been would be a, so, overwhelming. so overwhelming of what you're supposed to do. Whereas yeah. like they, like, they pace it out in such a way that by the end of the game, you're like, oh... I can go from an axe throw into into my fists mm-hmm. and then call it back and bounce it off their head again to get additional damage and stun. Yeah, as long with, like as Atreus and like you, you learn those patterns. I also just think that I came into it with baggage of God of War being a game about fighting twelve guys and two of them are giants at once. Okay. You know, and, and I tried juggling, to tell you and juggling crowd <laughs> control, and I knew that. Yeah, and it, still, it gets there. Yes, but in the end, you're usually focusing on, like, two guys at once. You're not, like, doing crazy blade spins where you're, like, kiting, you know, like, locking up, stun locking a basically. You, you kind of do at the end. Yeah, yeah. at the end of the game, are, there's a lot of enemies yeah. on screen. And, and you, but you're and not, how are you know that there's, you're doing it to the, hitting these guys behind you and stuff? That, I um, think that that's one, that is one area where the game suffers. I think that the yeah. camera and the way that it handles stuff behind you I, is not I, I do, it ever does well. I do agree with that. But, like, you can... So you are trying to constantly angle yourself so your enemies are all in front of you. Right, okay. Um, and then, or you're... 
you're or you're concentrated on doing power moves on one enemy and you just listen for like atreus to go behind you and then you know to dodge i see you know? yeah i guess yeah. you know i'm talking more about the old god of war style or batman you know if we want more modern example and you're stopping to hit the one guy real quick behind yeah. you and then knocking these two up you know and, and there's and, like a degree of that because yeah, the only yeah. reason i missess that is because yeah. I didn't play Bayonetta. I never played Ninja Gaiden. The mm. only game I played that was kind of that type of combat was God of War. I mean, mm. I could get that out of Devil May Cry I mean, and other things. As far as other games like that, the only game that I would sort of like draw baseline comparisons to is like Neo. Like, or not yeah. or whatever. Now, that being said, everything I've heard about this game, I'm still going to play it. It still yeah. sounds excellent. Like, I, and all the stuff you guys are describing about skill progression and stuff, that's mm-hmm. really fascinating to me. Because mm-hmm. that sounds like a really interesting take and in like leaning into like. Giving the player a bunch of builds within one character. I think finding yeah. stuff in that game is fine. I think that a lot of the progression does not feel great. Like I think that there are too many progression systems in that game, and some of them at a certain point just feel useless. I'm also curious about the environmental puzzles. I've heard they're actually kind of cool. Sometimes. They're very good. Yeah. They are. And so yeah. that, that's actually something that sounds good, because the environmental puzzles in the old God of War were never that great. They were really easy. But you played them because really you played them because you were like, logic "Wow, puzzles. I'm seeing like yeah. this gram on like the back of a fucking grandiose giant mm-hmm. doing this puzzle." You know that mm-hmm. was the cool part about right. it, so. not, not the puzzle itself. It almost yeah. never like the scale in this game is basically never like that. Yeah, like, ah. ah. <laughs> I'm sure it does. I, I think that there are spectacle moments in the game that are big, but it's never like I'm doing this puzzle and it's like pulled out to here. Oh no, it, does, oh, okay. it doesn't world. do that. Yeah. I'm yeah. On the back God of War loved to do that where you'd be running up a thing and all of a sudden it'd pull out and be like it's the chain binding this fucking giant to the ground there's yeah. big shit in this game but yeah, like course. the biggest thing in this game is like half or a third the size of the biggest shit that's ever been in True. a god of war game like it just never gets as big yeah. as those other games and that's not a negative it's no. just a, com- a a it's just comparing it yeah which is fine i don't need that and just yeah. It, yeah the uh i'm definitely gonna play through it yeah Everyone, you won't you won't regret it no i mean that game is like universally acclaimed. Like I know I'm gonna find it. I just haven't been. It's like Arthur said, right? Where he's been in that place where he's like, ah, the big commitment thing. <laughs> Same thing with me. I'm like, I could yeah. do that, or I could go play something for like 40 minutes. And right. and that was I also played that when I was like taking a break from competitive games and exactly. like in multiplayer. I, I games. guarantee, yeah. like, come some weird time around fall or something, I'm gonna be like, oh yeah, this was still. Ah, let's just do that, and then I'll just be like, I'm in it for five days. <laughs> like, yeah, I. It feels like the sort of like strong contender for game of the year right now based on just like universal universally positive <laughs> coverage like cuz there there have been some people that have complained a little bit about it like but it, that seems primarily narrative in nature like it doesn't seem like it's had like the actually this is entirely bad sort of takes that tend to appear within 6 weeks of the <laughs> game's release yeah uh and it still could but sure. I don't think that it will yeah. um But I'm getting stressed too busy with the E3 and don't have time. <laughs> Perfect I mean, time part of the strategy, yeah. I, no. I feel like lots of games in the first half of the year. No, like, I know. I I I'm just being I was joking. Yes. I it was a good joke. Most of the most of the criticism of games does not come from the mainstream games press. Like I think that lots of people are really excited about liking things at, at like the bigger sites. Uh, mm-hmm. and that's fine. Um but yeah, I, I I'm curious to see what the rest of the year looks like as far as like games to compete with it. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually playing it differently than I would normally play a game like this in that just because of my schedule, I'm playing like, Oh, a few hours here and a few hours there. And I'm, uh, I've been gone. Uh, but I'm also streaming more and I'm playing more like multiplayer games with friends and stuff too, which like cuts in that time. And I kind of like that. I'm, that I'm not just marathoning it, you know, because uh, 
it's like every time I go back to it, I I appreciate the things that I appreciated about it before all over again. Which is a little hard in that game because it's so it's such a I do have to get back into it. Thing, yeah. Well, it's and it's not just like getting back into it; it's like stopping. Like, there's not Mm. a lot of good stopping points in that game, actually, because it it does like (laughs) click from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's no level load or something like no. that where it's like, ah, there's the moment to stop. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Sometimes it does help me with games like that where I'm like, reached but, something right. But it, it does mm-hmm. do a good job if you take a break to like remind you what you were doing. The ca- the characters do. Mm-hmm. I guess I didn't. I played so much of it so quickly that that wasn't yeah. the thing. If you take a little break, there's Atreus or another character will be like, hey. Remember we were doing this thing because of this? And they'll be like, oh, yeah, okay. Also, though, Atreus, like, a lot of times when I'm backtracking to do, like, a, a side quest or something, is like, what are we doing here? I'm like, fuck Boy. off. <laughs> really? I fuck got, off. I don't think I've, I've ever heard him say I that. I do. I've never heard him say that. Before we continue on Ash Quest, <laughs> the, give me a fucking minute. He's only said the exact opposite to me, where, where he was like, hey, we got this thing now. We could go on to do this. Or if you want, we could do some more exploring, like always implying that he wants to explore more. Uh, it changes later on. Oh, does it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, it is funny to me, like, playing that game and playing Far Cry, 4, Far Cry 5 and some other games this year, that it feels like there was a GDC, like, two years ago where there was some kind of, like, development session about resuming narrative after car- after player interruption. Mm. Like, because, like, somebody all of these games it, yeah. are just, like... <laughs> We'll talk about this later, and then like the action starts. Like, or you walk away from him for a second, yeah. and, and then he's like, "All right, we'll get back to it." And then you come back, and it's like, "So as we were saying," yeah. and this game yeah. does the same thing. Yeah, which uh, I love. I I hate it's a hard like thing to do. Yeah, yeah, well, and I hate feeling like you know characters are saying something, and then I get into a combat, and then it's like their voice line just keeps going. And it's something games have struggled with a lot. Oh yeah, over the last six or seven years, yeah, like, especially open world stuff, like. Yeah. As open world stuff has become more narrative heavy, mm-hmm. like I think the games have struggled to deal with it. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why things like Rockstar games just go full cutscene every time and right. don't give control back until it's done. It's like, no, yeah. this yeah. is it's our like, fucking story. <laughs> you're gonna watch, then you can play. You're not gonna right. shoot at them and make them duck. But and even in, even in Rockstar games, it's like you're driving from point A to point B, and your passenger starts to say something like, "All right, I'm just gonna That's pull over. I'm just gonna pull over and let him talk because otherwise something's gonna interrupt this." Like, gonna occasionally, they do the thing if like you hit someone else in the car, they'd be like, "What the fuck?" Yeah. Yeah. And, and then they would be anyways. Yeah. 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 yeah, no, they do it too. Yeah. yeah, I'm just saying, like in open world games where you have a long narrative, the player pulls out a gun and shoots, and like, "What the fuck?" You know, mm-hmm. and it's it is like one of those things that yeah. can be very immersion breaking if they don't do that. And so, yeah. yeah, it is really nice how like you'll be out like in Kratos will be telling a story or something or and then he'll pull up and he'll be like they'll pull up on a beach or pull up to a dock he's like all right stories are for later let's focus for now but and then you get back in he's like so where we were going so but even in even in that game i feel like they time like if you're walking from place to pay, place to place they time it out super well always that oh, like yeah that you'll reach that point and you won't have to wait around or have it interrupted by something the else. The story yeah, ends exactly when the player gets there. Yeah. It, with Atreus and Kratos, yes. I think that later on, as like there's another storyteller introduced, that it gets a little worse about that. Yeah. Because they're not, it's not as specifically timed. Right. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, the, the first half of that game is very much just like you go to point A to point B to point C to point yeah, D. The, se- this, the last third of that game actually feels a little bit undercooked. Not no. super undercooked, just a little bit. I feel like they're just, they're just like finish up doing what you want because like you, you're kind of committed to doing one thing after this point. Um, mm. I am. I'm still. I feel really positively about the way that game ends. 
I I heard some people who are like, it's complete bullshit and it sucks. And I was like, what no. part? <laughs> I I just no. Like it, it's obviously going to be like there's obviously going to be a sequel. Like they're not going to answer all the questions. That's not. That's not how you set up like an like, ongoing narrative. Yeah, I uh, yeah I don't. I mean, I don't want to get any more into it because Matt is playing it right now. Yeah. Anthony will play it eventually. I I do wish that you would play it sooner rather than later, so we could have like just a final, just like a- actual discussion about the game. Do a do a spoiler cast. Not like the... a full spoiler cast, well, but like something I can cut out and put after the credits. That's what I mean. Or yeah. after the my the, wife the is gonna go yeah. uh, to her hometown with her brother for a few days, and I'll have uh the house to myself so maybe maybe i could poop sock it during that period of time yeah not that that? i can't play games when she's around but you know how it is when you're like you can't dedicate like a 12-hour sesh yeah yeah exactly your partner is around yep like there's well you can if you don't want a partner he was gonna say you can if they're that or if your partner has something that they've been waiting to poop sock to sure yeah Yeah. (laughs) but i mean in my experience is like very few people like there are very few mediums that sort of facilitate a 12-hour binge the mm. way that gaming does. So, like, if your partner is like, I've been waiting to do this thing for a long time, so I'll do that, too. It's like, after three or four hours, they are done with that binge, whereas you're like, <laughs> you're like no. It's been, it's been four hours? This, the, my <laughs> yeah. ass is just fitting into the space yeah. perfectly right now. I can't leave. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, speaking I'll, I'll, of, de- I'll definitely get into it, man. Now, speaking of binging stuff, uh, James, thank you very much for the recommendation for the graphicaudio.net version of the Stormlight Archive oh, audio book. Yeah. Eleanor and I, uh, we had a lot of driving over this last weekend between yeah. between here moving. and Oregon. And Not you moving. But. Back and forth and back and forth. Oh, man. And we listened to a lot of that. And yeah. it was great. They're very good. It was very good. I mean, like some of the voice acting is meh, but you know, like you, it's excusable, and you and you it, you just, you get so into it that like you just uh, after a while you just sort of like don't even notice like the yeah. sort of the more badly delivered lines or bad, yeah. or characters that like and I'm not sure that this was the right tone for this character, but which when um, each section of a book is like 17 hours, not yeah. one book, like each multiple, section, yeah, yeah. And there's there's however many characters, yeah. you can kind of forgive like uh-huh. a couple lines being like, yeah, we had to do this, we had two shots of doing this line, and that was it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's tough. Yeah, and like, uh, yeah. So, and to give you an idea how much driving we did over this last weekend, uh, we're on the second section of the first book. Yeah. So and it's it is long and it's just crazy because there's music and sound effects for the whole thing. And the funny thing was is I actually bought like the wrong audiobook first off Amazon, so that was a waste of fifty bucks. Um and then then I found the graphic audio dot net one or whatever. And uh the first and so, you know, I was listening to the first section of the graphic audio one because I had listened to mm-hmm. the to the regular like audible one first. Um and I noticed that, like, they'll actually take things where a character, where the, the book will say, like, and he sighed heavily. And instead of, like, the, the narrator doesn't even read that. The character literally just goes, <sighs> they'll take it, like, direction in a script. Yeah. I, sometimes the Star Wars books I'm reading will do it, too, but they'll read, they'll take the direction and as well as say, he sighed heavily, and then they'll do the sigh. As right, well. right. This one, this one just cuts that out entirely. Yeah, that's it's, it's really impressive. They because they must have they would have had to gone through the entire book and basically recast it as a script. Oh yeah, for sure. Because sometimes 
when you're reading a book, it doesn't even tell you that it was sarcastic until after you've read the line. Right. So you're reading the line one way, and it's like, he said sarcastic. Oh, that was a sarcastic. It's like, <laughs> yeah. okay, then you hear it differently in your head, you know? Yep. So. Yep. And, uh, yeah, they've got, like, you know, when there's a dining hall, there's, like, sound effects of people back there laughing and drinking when there's Have a you battle noticed, that's going uh, on. Yeah. Oh, well, I guess maybe not because you're listening to that, but I've noticed that uh, listening to audiobooks, I think I pick up words more than I do when I read them. And I just noticed that certain authors love certain words. Yeah. <laughs> so like Timothy Zahn, I'd never heard someone use the word sardonic, but he uses it all like the time. All the time. <laughs> and so now I'm just like, sardonic, man. That's just not a word I've typically heard. Now when, now when I hear it out loud, I'm just like, ah. Ah. One, one thing that I've noticed, at least in the Stormlighter I Cry, is the use of modern terminology. Mm that would be weird in the setting that like i don't even i like when i i don't remember noticing it at all when i was reading it but then like, it's like reading the, machine gun like as an as a description in a game of thrones yeah exactly option. something like that yeah but but i also like sometimes it makes it more readable or yeah. like it's like you, you can yeah I, I know what you mean but like I, mm-hmm. i'd much rather that than them being like let's compare it to this other thing of like a historical reference sure. that no one would get or sometimes it just comes off as a little i mean star wars does it all the time where it's just like just fucking say plastic man you have to like you have <laughs> to like, oh, polymer it, you have to name it your thing you know <laughs> plastic steel or whatever you know you're just like steel. Yes, and so you're just like, come on. second. But they do it for comparison things. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's kind of like a, you know, when a nerf does a thing, you're like, nah, and just, just, <laughs> I suppose she wouldn't. So. I'm sorry that the sci fi novel you're reading that's an offshoot from a series of movies <laughs> is making you feel uncomfortable. <laughs> no, I'm just saying that sometimes I feel like they you try- cross that threshold. I actually a long just looked it up ago. because as you were talking about this, that I was like, oh, yeah, that book, I'm really excited for a book coming out this year, so I just had to find out when it comes out. So seven, I, seven twenty four. There are several books this year that I'm excited. To, I'm, I almost bought the new Stephen King over the weekend to plow through it, but I was at multiple bookstores. I'm like, books are fucking expensive now. Physical books are really, yeah. yeah the, the next Thrawn expensive. book at Target is twenty dollars and twenty nine cents. Stephen King's new book is thirty dollars. Sure, but Stephen King usually it's you know, long. Yes. I'm not saying it's not worth it. It's just like holy shit. Well, thirty dollars. No, totally. Which is why I'm saying this Thrawn book being at twenty dollars twenty nine. It's probably not even that long. And, you know, it's just like is books, this physical right. or digital? It's a physical mm-hmm. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And the whole Stormlight Archive series in this graphic audio format is like one hundred and forty five bucks but or sixty five bucks. When books come out new, they also come out in the big hardbound versions, typically first, and then they get made into what's it? What are those called? Paperbacks. paperbacks. Yeah, the paperbacks. But there's like a term for them when they're like the ones that are like that. The, the, the like chunky square ones. Yeah, I forget, yeah. What, there's, I forget mm-hmm. what the term is for those, but yeah, that's when they get cheap they trade paperback. Yeah. Um, anyway, James, did you play any video games besides the that uh, Wizard Wizard of Legend? No, not really. Dota. Yeah. The Dota. Everyone's keeping up with the Dota. It's coming There's up. Some what big Dota news this week for American fans? Anyway, for oh American yeah, fans. Oh yeah. So roster drama. Yeah, roster drama. <laughs> uh, post the ESL Birmingham, which was not the final major, but the final major before the super major. Okay. But- Everyone thought yeah, you guys got to think about who you're talking to. Out here. Every, okay, so it <laughs> yeah. was like there were like two. Including the one that just happened, which was in Birmingham, which James was talking about. There were, like, two majors remaining. But basically everyone thought that the season was being determined by this major. Okay. Like, that the next one would be kind of a thing, but wouldn't matter. Yeah. Okay. Uh, turns out. Yeah. 
uh, due to some roster drama, it does matter. It matters a whole hell of a lot. So EG, EG kicked two of their players. They kicked Fear. I don't think they kicked Fear. It, I thought it sounds Fear, like Fear is just a coach. No, Fear, Fear was playing. Co- co- coached, then was back playing again. Oh, he was back playing. He, they, they, for a couple they, of years. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I thought Fear became a coach again because he was retired. He, he had know? a wrist injury that, that forced him into early retirement. He did some... And then he was coaching. Then he... Well, he's coaching during that period. Then he then he started playing again. They did that like he's I'm back, and they did that like a okay a parody. They kicked him again. They yeah. He also had a kid during the last major. Yeah. So they went to this ledger, lost in the first. They got first knocked out in the first elimination round. Yeah. Like, well, the the way that this format worked, it was bad, and they got it. Was, it doesn't matter. They, ESL's they, tournaments are bad. Not all of them. Frankfurt Major was an ESL tournament. Was a double elim. I think so. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, And then they kicked uh, Misery, who was their new captain, captain, which they brought in six months ago. This year, I think, yeah. Or, like, late last year. Fear is still with the organization. Probably. He said, I mean, they said that he was. That he was still with the organization. Misery is just gone. Yeah, he's forming his own team. Um, And then we were all like, who could they choose? And there was a lot of speculation that they were going to pick up some... Folks. Shitty North American players. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that, that have been kicked off their teams. <laughs> and, and have been casting more lately when they've actually been good at casting, mm. uh, which is Banana Sonoma Jamma and, and Kyle. But that's not what happened. No. So there's another team, OG. OG won all of the official, or all but one of the official Valve majors. In 2017? Mm. Uh, 15-16. Right. Um. They were they're a dominant team. They didn't. They got pretty far in TI, but last year, last year, and then they have pretty much had an incredibly poor performance this year. They they've done okay, but like they struggled. Not, but they struggled a lot. Poor for them. Yeah, they picked up the, basically two of the founding members who people were like they'll never leave, including one of the co-owners of the team. Yeah. Whoa. Uh, this guy named so Fly and S four S four who's like a legendary been around forever right and Fly who's just one of like the strongest coaches in the scene kind of took this band of misfits that he played with uh, no ta- no no tail so off. the long story here is that there are two new teams no 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 the long, the the story is the EG home wrecked another team yeah to fill out their roster after kicking two players after they did pretty shittily. And like really inconsistently over the last six months, yeah. Um, and OG had an invite to the major coming up this weekend, the like, super major, the super major, which is worth a lot of points. And there was talk about like, well, maybe they could get some points, and like maybe something would happen, and they could get a direct invite to TI because that's what the majors and minors are for. Like players earn points mm-hmm. to try to get enough to get invited to the international and not top, to play top, for top eight teams. Um, and so at the end of last week, at the end of this tournament, it was thought that that top eight was determined no matter what happened. Yeah, no, it's not. And now it's not because OG, who had some points and an invitation to this super major, lost 40% of their players and 40% of their points. Because points are tied to players, not oh, to teams. Oh, wow. That doesn't seem so, right. No, it makes complete sense. It, like, it, it because of like the way that you couldn't just like pick up someone like half the roster and be like this is this is OG now it makes so, sense so it's not just that points are tied to players there's also a cutoff 
So if your roster changes after a certain date, then you can no longer get a direct invite. Like yeah, beyond, I just like, like the idea that your organization is what goes in, not a player. No, that's all. It's it used the, to be that way. I no, get, no, it didn't. I get, I get it. It always, I, it's always been tied to the players. It doesn't seem. I don't like that. So, so anyway, so OG. Not only did did OG's roster change, they don't have people to replace the rest of their team right now. Yeah. So, a team from the last tournament that did way better than expected. Optic. Optic, which is composed in um, primarily by former Evil Geniuses team members. Uh, suddenly has an invite to the super major and could, if they perform extremely well, theoretically displace someone and maybe get enough points to get invited to TI. See, everything you're saying right now makes me realize this is all exactly why I stopped caring about esports stuff with Battlegrounds was the second that like I, the team I liked lost players and they moved on. I was like, oh, I just don't have any interest anymore. I think that there's been a lot of that with EG and our sort of group. Because like EG is the home team, right? And people like want to like the home team, but they've been doing so inconsistently that it's like even more heartbreaking than normal mm-hmm. to root for that team. It's also like as the years have gone on of watching Pro Dota, I just like all the teams now. Like even like exposure, there's a lot more exposure to the Chinese teams now, um, uh, and like like they're just there's just a lot of different players that have moved around enough that it's like it's interesting to see those combinations of players so, so yeah what, I think- what i'm seeing though right now is that like there's been a lot of pessimism and negativity around evil geniuses for the last few months but this roster change actually did what i did not think was possible which has made a bunch of people sort of excited about what evil geniuses could be again we haven't seen them play though we haven't seen them play i don't know i just feel like I feel like Overwatch is probably like the closest one that I could be interested in because they at least have like local teams, so there's something to that that's like hits on those same things as normal sports. Because mm-hmm. like with Battlegrounds, it was like a mixture of the team I liked was European and American, and then the guy that I liked that I felt was like the backbone of the team left, and I'm like, oh, now I just but, don't give a fuck. But Overwatch's players, like, and, and I have nothing wrong with this, but like London, it, they're all Korean. They're all Korean players. Sure. No, I'm just talking about the idea that there's like a city based like thing. Soccer you start teams. To, yeah. Soccer. Like, soccer organizations. Yeah, I guess I just don't... I would rather find a way that esports could be about the organization rather than the players. I don't know. I, I, I completely disagree. I think, like, there are a couple examples... There used to be a couple examples of that in in Dota, and that's eroded over time. Like, Alliance was a team where it was yeah. largely about the organization. And one yeah, I'm not player. saying... That, I mean, even when you watch baseball, you're, like, a Giants fan, but you still have, like, the Giants guy that you're like, that's who's fucking jersey. I, I think I think you can you can do that, like, because EG and Fnatic and Secret and a few of those other teams have those cores if you keep... you base them around them, but then you can end up with a team like Na'Vi who have kept Demdi on their team not because he's necessarily the best player. He's very good. He's the heart of it. But he is the heart of that team. And they do better for keeping him on for like sponsorships and merch sales than necessarily like that. Even if they're doing poorly. Like the, then the level of competition. Like do they keep... They, do you invite Na'Vi because they're the, the old Demi school boys? the most popular Dota player in the world. Yeah. Or was. Uh, yeah. Either way. Or do you invite the teams who are playing the best? Yeah, who are just like trading and vying? Like I don't know. There's just no. There's allegiance there's to not it. so much trading and vying though. Like now because right now is the only time it can happen because like the only teams that are going to change their rosters are teams that cannot get directly invited. Yeah, I guess I just feel like in a season there shouldn't be that. There just should that shouldn't be a thing that occurs. You go with the team you but have. That happens in baseball finish. all the time. Yeah. No, I know. 
I'm I mean, not saying I mean, I'm just I'm really speaking of what Anthony thinks he likes. Yeah, I mean the the. the but I think I think the, you're saying overall in esports, and like it happens in sports too. Yeah, but the the difference between a baseball team a and team an esports team, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, like you can have 30 people or however many on a. I don't even know. It's how, not what as cr- it's not a baseball team that you can have in your roster. Knocking the knees out of a team. Yeah, and like, it's like you know you you remove you remove one person from a four man team or a five man team, and it's a big deal. Yeah, I. I mean, I don't. It didn't seem like it's not. It's funny that they've taken two players from OG and sort yeah. of like caused this scenario where OG no longer has an invite to this tournament. Yeah. But they didn't really fuck OG over because OG was already fucked. Mm. Like, and and OG chose to pass. Like they could have found other players and played in the tournament. That what that wasn't the tournament and kicking them out. Also, there's like a good chance there were negotiations between the two organizations to sort of secure this stuff. Yeah. Because again, fly. Uh, was a co-founder of OG. Mm-hmm. Like, so it's not like he's just some hired gun that OG found that someone else took away. No, I get it. Again, it's just, it's just. The, it's, I think it's literally like it comes down to what Matt's saying. It's percentage-wise. Same thing at Battlegrounds. When that dude left, it was 25% of the reason I liked watching that thing was gone. And I was like, ah, I just feel like it knocked it out for me. Yeah, I, I, I just, I think it comes down to pl- players for me. Like, I, I, like, organizations are cool, but they're also esports organizations are inherently less stable in dota than they are in the say league or anything like that so i'd much rather the players get what gets what's best for them through negotiations i I feel like a thing that could happen that i think would be interesting i don't know if it ever will happen is that if valve were to increase the number of players that could be on a roster yeah like so you would have a a team has yeah exactly you do well there's subs yeah, you could you could still play with your subs at, but they could be you could sub them out. Doesn't there have to be like specific scenarios where a sub can play? I think that as long as you, if you like, you indicated the other team that you could just swap them out. I don't know if you could do it like you can do mid match. Obviously, yeah, it has to be the same team. But not like mid match, but like what if between like I don't think it was mid series you know, one and day three, two, like in the yeah. middle of a series that you could sub out. I don't. I don't player. think you could. I don't think it was. I think it was. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I'm not saying that they can. I'm sure that they can. I'm yeah. just saying, like, what if you could? Well, yeah. if they let you sl- sub out players mid-match, that would make the that would make the organization uh, that would no, that would not develop mid-match. more around it. No, or, I'm or, saying like I'm saying like if you could sub out mid-match, that would actually you know broaden the appeal of the organization as a whole. I think if, if you could do it mid-series, like it might do it, but it also leads to like a possibility where you could have like the equivalent of the Yankees. Yeah, but I, yeah, I, yeah. There's also the problem, at least within Dota, is that if you have specific players in the match, you're banning out. You're like, I know this dude is right. really good at this character, so like that doesn't make sense. So you're banning Owie's techies. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what it makes it more sense to not even doing it in a series wise, because then you, you don't even do it. Say, best of three, you wouldn't into the best of three over. You shouldn't ever be able yeah. to change well, out unless a player. you had like some super crazy scenario where you had two people that were equally as good at techies and they just lose the uh, no. Because then, like the 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 whole point of having a best of three is showing that that best of three, like those players, are versing off in that swapping out mid series doesn't make sense to me. I don't. That's what I. That's why I'm talking about organization versus. I'm I'm not saying that it's a good solution. I'm yeah. saying that like if you wanted to focus it more on the organization as opposed to on the individual players, then that best of three series wouldn't be about like which players are best. It would right. be about which organization is best. I also think that in sports where people get attached to franchises as opposed to players, like there is a, a sort of meta narrative and meta play 
element of that team. Like there's the coaching. Yeah. Like, and that's not something that like there are coaches in Dota and like people talk about them sometimes, but it's not like there's like a person lording over all of the players making the calls. Like there's the captain, but he's also playing. Right. Um, and so there's just not that sense of identity outside of the players for most Dota teams. Right. You interview the players after the match, not the coach like or something like that. A Dota that. team's yeah, identity true. is a combination of the players. It's not like mm-hmm. it's virtually never an organization's philosophy on how you play Dota. Right. Yeah. Um, and yeah. if a player leaves, then some of that philosophy goes with them. Yeah. Like I said, it was all my observation of just watching my interest change in e- Battlegrounds esports. There's no Phil Jackson. When, I, Dota, when no. I was watching people that I was like, slowly getting into from other teams and they're like i'm bailing out for streaming because i make more money streaming i'm like well fuck yeah i also (laughs) think that's comes with battlegrounds being a unviable esports maybe not unviable but in infantile esports scene versus dota which has established history and and relationships and all those things yeah, now I also feel like there's a lot of people who can make a living streaming Battlegrounds, and I don't know. I like all the battle royale games are a problem waiting to be solved, esports wise. Like, yeah. I don't think anybody's figured it out. Anyway, Dota's good. Esports are really fun. Sometimes <laughs> Dota's also bad. I agree, yeah. <laughs> I agree with both. I, those I, I just haven't had time. All, all like I've been having more conversations, even in my office, with people about Dota, like they're watching the NBA finals. It, like, it, it's yeah. talked about with that same fervor of like, yeah, that's awesome. of that season and how, how the DPC or the Dota pro circuit has created a, a, an ongoing narrative that you can talk about yeah. and have fun with. That's like way, way more interesting than necessarily like the valve majors where it was like arbitrary invites. Yeah. And long periods of non-activity or smaller things that didn't really matter. And, and it's not like it's been perfect. Like there are definitely no, problems. That absolutely not. Work out, but yeah. it, it has done what it, one of the, the main things that it needed to do, which is, yeah, that meta narrative. Yeah. Uh, like the seasonal narrative. Yeah. Um, and there's just always Dota to watch. There's like, it's every, too much Dota to watch, arguably. Yeah. <laughs> like multiple tournaments going on at the same time. Like, <laughs> right. That's something I hope that they can fix. Well, they're never at the same time. But qualifiers. Qualifier during qualifiers, yes. At the same time. Yeah. yeah. And that, like, that fucks mm. things up. Mm. But Do they ever have open qualifiers? Yes. Do we open qualifiers for TI? Well. Regionally, yeah. Regionally. Yeah. Hey, but how do you get into the qualifiers? You just, like, sign up. Through the website. Yeah, there's a website for it. Okay. How many teams do they allow? Doesn't. As many as yeah. sign up. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Well, that's what, when it, it's open. It's then. really open. You <laughs> yeah. can you like. Unfortunately, if you're in North America and you're going through the open qualifiers, you're going through like tier two and arguably tier one teams who didn't get an invite. Like that is well, the that, problem that's, with the that's DPC. Also, that's also. I mean, even when you watch Battlegrounds tournaments, it's like <laughs> OG is actually a team that didn't yeah. get an invite, and then you go against them, and you're like, oh, okay, well, they just yeah. fucking wrecked everyone, and <laughs> yeah. they qualified in. Right. It's like, <laughs> that happened, like, last year with Evil Geniuses. Like, they didn't get an... In- I don't think they got a direct invite, because they changed their roster, right? Yeah. Mm. So they had to play through... Like, they missed the roster cutoff, so they had to play through the open qualifiers. Yeah. And it was hilarious watching people, them cast, because they were just dumpstering teams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Like, fast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um which could happen this year or maybe it won't like who knows like the the thing with the dota meta right now is that it has changed so rapidly so many times this year that it's hard to know what state the game is going to be in. and they've said in a recent update that they're going to slow down post ti yeah which 
is good. The yeah. meta was changing too fast, especially when so much of the most important parts of the 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 TI competition, like the pre-competition of the DPC, happened at a point of incredible upheaval, like bi-weekly upheaval in the meta. Of the yeah. Game. Like radical changes, like two years worth of changes in the last four months of Dota, arguably. All right. All right. No letters. I played another game, goddammit. Well, what this did you always play? Because fucking I would, happens. No, 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 talk about that, because I would rather hear about that. Uh, I played Bloodstained Circle of the Moon? Is it Circle of the Moon? Um, yes, the Bloodstained before the actual Bloodstained game comes out. Yeah, although I think for a lot of people, it's Bloodstained Curse of the Moon. Circle of the Moon is a Castlevania game. Ha 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 ha. I think for some people, this might be the game, as opposed to the quote real game that's coming well sure maybe the people that didn't kickstart the actual real no game. no but really i think that what this game is doing is in its own way just as sort of vital and interesting as what like the main bloodstained game is doing mm. which is like bloodstained is like trying to be a modern successor to like symphony of the night and like the sort of like game boy Advance era of castlevania games um while very much looking like those games Whereas this game, Curse of the Moon, takes place before like the proper Bloodstained game, I'm pretty sure, like okay. chronologically, and is a. It looks like Castlevania. It's like, Castlevania three. Okay, like it is like it is very liberally taking Castlevania three and remixing it, um, in a way that it feels intensely un- like of a intense academic understanding of what made that game and those games what they are. And this is not made by the same team who's making Bloodstained. I, I assume that they had some input. Yeah, of like, course. That they had a lot of input. But no, it's a separate developer. Um, and, and did anyone know this was coming? I don't think so. Yeah, I feel like it kind of came out of nowhere. I'm looking for the store page. Here. So that I'm, tell, tell me about this game right while now. I find the store page. I'm on it right now. It's Inti Creates uh, made it and published it. Uh, the Steam reviews are overwhelmingly positive right now um so I, jesus christ uh i went to the store page and it started playing the trailer and it wasn't muted and the sound started coming out of my headphones and freaked me out uh so basically uh where bloodstained looks like symphony of the night all those fucking games this looks exactly like castlevania yeah, it 3 looks very nes um and arguably more like the first castlevania um and it also has multiple characters the way the Castlevania 3 did. Did you play Castlevania 3? No. I'm. It blows my fucking mind that I am the only person on this podcast. <laughs> played I played Castlevania, Castlevania 1, played like, Castlevania 2 as a child, and was like, what is this I trash? I cannot and fucking then... believe that I am the only person on this podcast who played yeah, Castlevania 3. Well, there you 3. go. Feel free to send your emails. I didn't own very many Nintendo <laughs> expressing games. Expressing shock at Neither that sentiment. Uh, and I so what Castlevania 3 added over Castlevania, the first Castlevania, because Castlevania 2 became like a sort of open-world Metroid-y adventure game, uh, was more sophisticated graphics, like slightly more nuanced mechanics, but it was basically like iterative, but it also introduced a mechanic where there are certain bosses that you would encounter that would unlock the ability to play as another character. Um, And all of these characters played very differently from Trevor Belmont, the main character. Uh, There was Grant, who was a pirate, who could jump super high and could climb walls and ceilings and only had had access to different weapons. 
there was Sypha, who was a sorcerer whose melee attacks sucked but had access to really powerful magic. Did you play them on separate levels, or could you go back through content with these different characters? You could only play them on certain levels, like okay. certain paths. Uh, Sypha is in the Netflix anime, by okay. the way. And the sequence in the Netflix anime of Castlevania where he fights a Cyclops and there's like a statue of a person, that is exactly how you find Sypha in Castlevania 3. Cy- Castlevania hmm. on Netflix is a retelling of Castlevania 3 <laughs> that is not yet done. Uh, and also, like, you fight Alucard, and if you beat him, you can take him as a, as a companion. Hmm. Um, and so this game actually takes that mechanic and switches it up a little bit. In Castlevania 3, you, you got another character, but you could only have two people at the same time. So it was always Trevor or one other person. And if you encountered another character and you wanted to take them instead, the other person you had left. Uh, in this game, when you meet another character and you decide to take them on, you, they are added to your roster. And eventually you can have all of them and you can switch between all of them at will. It's like, like very G.I. quickly, Joe. Very quickly in the game as well. So it's not like in Castlevania 3 where it was like kind of a very slow thing. Um, and as a side note, when you beat these bosses and see these characters in, in Bloodstained, you don't have to talk to them. Like, you hit the up arrow to talk to them, like, to, to add them to your team. You can just kill them. Like, you can just use your weapon on them and kill them. And that gives you, the main character, a new ability. So get a new playable or kill them for playable ability for your character you've right. been investing So as you're going through the game, there are certain areas that only certain characters can get to. And that may include starting the game over to get to areas that only certain characters can get to. Um, that might be with uh, the first sub-character you get to, uh, who is actually like the most traditional Castlevania character, because the main character in this game is a dude with a sword, and he plays kind of like Grant did in Castlevania 3, except like he jumps like a normal height. He, he controls like Trevor, but has a weapon like Grant. So mm. he has like a sword. It Whereas, sounds like they did a really good job of harnessing what people liked about Castlevania and like and mix, but mixing it up at the same time. So yeah. in the first game, in in Castlevania three, Trevor has a whip, doesn't jump very high, but has the longest attack. Uh, Grant has the shortest attack, jumps super high. In this, those two things are switched. That the person that you start is the game is a person who doesn't jump very high, who has a sword, and. You, the first character you meet is a woman who has a whip and jumps super high and can do like a slide move that can get into areas that Trevor could not, yeah. or that the main character could not. Um, and so it does. It does this that these characters have these. These those are the two that primarily it switches around. Whereas there's a character you meet that can turn into a bat and shoots three fireballs as his primary attack. And if you play Castlevania three, that is exactly what Alucard does. Like he is. <laughs> a fucking carbon copy of value card. <laughs> um, and there's an alchemist you meet that is very much like Sypha. Hmm. Um, but it, it actually works these things into the game in ways that, that the, that Castlevania three did not. And, and maybe it's just like, wasn't something that they thought of or technologically it wasn't a thing, but like there's a certain boss where you can only beat him successfully without getting hit. If you have the alchemist. And is it, I mean, you know, I feel like when people make these old remakes of games or things like Shovel Knight and stuff, it's so easy to fuck up, like, the platforming or fuck up the enemy variety. But, I mean, you feel like it, it is, it, like, yes, it delivers on this vision, 
of what Castlevania was like, but does it also feel like Castlevania? It like very it much does. So, like, there are enemies in the game that move in a parabolic pattern across the screen, like Medusas. Mm-hmm. But they're not Medusas. Like, they're, they're like enemies. demon heads with arms yeah. on them. Yeah. There are of... enemies in the game that behave exactly like a corollary enemy in Castlevania, but they don't look like it. Okay. Because it's not Castlevania. Yeah. But it is Castlevania. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the way the game controls is exactly like Castlevania. It feels that, like. Go ahead, sorry. So there is a quirk of movement in Castlevania, which is that if you are not moving when you jump, when you jump, you do not have momentum. Like, you cannot add momentum. Um, so you have to be moving forward to jump forward. And once you're in the air, there's no correction. Like, you are committed to that jump and that arc. <laughs> and it is the exact same in this game, to the point where if you accidentally hit the jump button before you hit forward, you can fuck yourself. Yeah. Um, or if you're hitting forward and try to stop and hit just jump but you don't like you just jumped forward when you didn't mean to and you can fuck yourself and fall yeah. into a pit or get knocked into a pit or a million other things <laughs> the point where it feels very punishing like for a lot of people dark souls and all of the souls games are a modern a modern evolution of the unforgiving nature of castlevania games as yeah. platformers and that is very much present in the way that the 8-bit castlevania games felt um and it just really, it works. It really works that way. Uh, there are sub-weapons, and you get, instead of hearts, you get, like, item power containers. And you get small ones that are worth one, and you get big ones that are worth five, because that's fucking Castlevania. Um, and so it just, it really seems to understand what made those games function in a way that I feel like a lot of sort of 8-bit revivals have not yeah. And it doesn't feel like it's doing more necessarily than those games could do outside of a few boss encounters. Yeah. Um, and the bosses actually have multiple phases in a way that only the most ambitious Castlevania bosses did. But also, like, when you get to water, there's flickering of sprites like there was on NES Castlevania because that's the way that the hardware worked. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like something right up there with, like, Axiom Verge and these other things where you're like... Here's I think more of that Shovel thing Knight you is like the best example of like a game that really leverages that shit. But I feel like this, in some ways, actually is most successful because it it constrains itself in ways that those games do not. Can I go up into the scoreboard? Yes. Okay. <laughs> and enemies will appear there as well. Okay. That's like um, the one thing in my mind that stands out from Nintendo era games was that things always went into the, the scoreboard. The only thing that pisses me off a little bit is like you can't leave a screen and come back and have the enemies repopulate, which is definitely something that the, the other Castlevania games did. And that wouldn't be a problem, except that there are certain hidden paths and traversal areas that are only available to you if you have a specific character with a specific weapon. And you need that weapon And power. another character with a specific weapon. Like yeah. the, the woman with a whip who is the purple character, uh, has a special weapon that's just like this massive axe that she just slams down directly in front of her that can kill almost any enemy in one hit and can also break specific barriers. And the alchemist, who is the sorcerer class, has a ice spear that will freeze an enemy that you can then jump on as a platform if you can jump high enough. So there's this spot later in the game where there's this big enemy standing just below this other door that you can't access that can only be destroyed with the axe. And so you need the <laughs> ice spear to freeze that enemy. And then you need the woman with the whip to jump up on top of that ice block with her axe to destroy the door. Mm-hmm. And if you kill that enemy, then you're fucked. Like you can't do any of that. Right. And if you, 
the there are specific like the the candles that have weapons in them are very specifically marked, but they'll only drop a weapon uh, usable by the character that hits the candle. And so, like, you need to make sure that you hit the candle with the alchemist to get the right weapon to freeze. And then you need to make sure that you hit the candle with the whip woman to get the right weapon to get in that space. It's only 10 bucks, right? It's like a $10. Uh, I'm looking. Yeah, it's 10 bucks. Yeah, it seems like a totally competent modern Nintendo game. Yeah, basically. it's it's really, I, I'm, I think I'm like 70% of the way through. I don't know how many levels there are. Yeah. Um, but generally, it's very clever. Like, the bosses feel pretty smart um, in a way that the Castlevania bosses often weren't. It'll be interesting if, uh, you know, when the, quote, real game comes out later this year, if it, like, is kind of I feel like that would be the second time it happened. Because the, uh, the Mega Man successor had, like, a, a D-Make version released at the same time that was also, also pretty well regarded, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's good. I'm I'm enjoying it a lot. And the music is great. Music is is extremely Castlevania three in a very sort of it's like eight bit cinematic. Yeah. Yeah, you were you were playing the game when we got here before we started recording and like the music was very exactly like that. It was very good. So so I will hopefully finish that soon. Um but yeah, that's what I've been playing. Nice. It's a cool it's kind of, it's not busted on PC, but it's pretty bare bones on PC to the point where it doesn't have proper gamepad support. That seems odd. Yeah. Like when you start it, it actually like, you need to make absolutely sure you have a controller turned on and connected <laughs> and then it goes through and it says hit up for the up key. Like it walks you through every uh, one of the mapping. buttons. Oh wow. Like it makes you, it walks you through a manual mapping of keys before Weird. it even starts the game. Weird. Hmm. which is really bizarre. That's also, I think, okay. I mean, it's good that they recognize that it has that problem, but on the other hand, how the fuck does it have that problem? <laughs> uh, my, It can also solve for, like, unique controller situations, like, for reasons for, like, the accessibility stuff, is, like, being able to map your controls out on your own, I think, is totally fine. But it shows, like, it shows an Xbox One controller, when it's doing that, it shows like a 360 or Xbox One controller when it's doing this. Like, I don't know. It seems like Steam sees the game as not having controller support. Okay. When you launch it. Like, if you launch it in big picture, which I did because I was fucking around with Steam Link on my TV, um, it sees it as a game without controller support. Mm-hmm. So there are, there are like positives that can work out from that with accessibility stuff, but it seems more like, like a weird quirk. Yeah. Than an intentional accessibility thing. Yeah. Um, hmm. But yeah, it's, it's quite good. More groovy. I'm looking forward to it then. All right. Humans. We, that which we are. You um, should email us <clears throat> yeah. time for next week with what you want to see at E3. Yeah. It's letters at eat-sleep-game.com. I like that you hold up your wrist like you're reading it off your No, hand. I was looking at my hand. I fucked with your cat. And she and she made me bleed a little. We were literally <laughs> just talking about how she'll fuck you up if you touch it the wrong way, and yeah. not immediately. She doesn't do it immediately. It takes no. a lot of shit oh, for her. to I lash could, out You were her. grabbing her back foot, which I, is always a no-no for a yes, cat. Yes, I was doing that, and I was doing this, and I could tell she was getting a little mad. And so I just went like this, and I touched her foot, and she went, "No, <laughs> no." 
I've had enough of this. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so you, you had it coming, is what I'm saying. She's a dignified lady. I absolutely, in this case, had it coming because I was <laughs> fucking with her. I knew, and I could see from... She gave all the telltale cat body language that, uh-huh. hey, I am going to... She's got a pretty high bullshit threshold. Yeah. Um, anyways, letters at sleepgame.com. Tell us what you want to see at E3 that hasn't already been announced. I probably right? will not be on next week's episode. You already be gone? I leave on Thursday. We'll see. I mean, I don't want you to feel stressed about it. Like it could just like, and I know that Matt is going out of town this weekend for a work thing, and who knows what you've got going on next week. Hard to say. But we haven't missed a show. Like this is the first time I think that we've done five consecutive shows in like (laughs) three years or something. I'll probably I'll probably be available next week. Okay. Uh, I'm at Chuff Money on Twitter and on Twitch, where I streams. Matt semi regularly joins me. You can find Matt. It's true on. Twitter at Talking Orange and on Twitch at Matt Chandrine. Right? Yeah. So Matt streams pretty regularly too. I was watching him play Pillars of Eternity the other night. And yeah. what was the other game? I feel like I watched you play something else. Oh, uh, Omen Sight. Yes. Yeah. Omen I want to talk. I'm going to talk about that next week when I get a chance to play right. some more. Yes, that game. That game's. Awesome. I don't know much about it, but when I watched my play, I was like, "This is crazy beautiful." What yeah. game is so this? It's called Omen, Omen Sight. Yeah, it was another one of those indie games that came out in like the last month, and you're like. Okay, why are you fucking amazing looking? So, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I want to play it more before I talk about it. And then Arthur's at AEGIS on Twitter and at Pragmagic on the Instagram. Also AEGIS on Twitch as well. Arthur's been doing some streaming as well. So you can watch him play things like State of Decay or Dota. Of the Dota. Probably not much more State of Decay. I really I want to finish a campaign in that game so I can get on with my life. <laughs> um, and then James underscore Faulkner. That's where you can find James on Twitch. Or Twitter. Tw- Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Twitter. If you want me to find me on Twitch, it's just slash Twitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I, 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 mentioned, I may have mentioned this a little bit last week. If you see it, the Twitch account talking, it's me. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that fucking crazy? I yeah. just everyone think about that for a second. Because Twitch is huge. Yeah. And mm-hmm. occasionally James is at the helm of the nuclear button. Yep. Look, I'm just, I usually just spam emotes. <laughs> that's all you have to do to yeah. one emote appears from that and everyone's like oh, Jesus has just appeared <laughs> Twitch Jesus or like a vengeful god yeah. like, don't piss off Yahweh <laughs> um, if you follow if you follow uh, Anthony and give him a sub you can get a really cool emote yeah, you it can. says good murder it says good murder it's very cool. One if you have Twitch stuff. Prime, you can link it to your Twitch account, and then you can and you can follow Anthony or Arthur. That's what I do. And I follow a good, there's, I follow there's Anthony a good just for that. People who have joined the Discord now and are Rebel FM fans, and now the the if, one of the interesting things to me is that sometimes I'll just go in there and just look at it while I'm at work, mm-hmm. and they're just in there playing games together. I'm yeah. like, that's cool. Yeah. So people found some like minds to it's a community. throw down with games and stuff, you know, and check out things like they play games in there. There's an Escape from Tarkov channel, and I've never played Escape from Tarkov, so there's at least people that are interested in that. So, And there's a there's a cooking channel in your Discord where people share their, their culinary creations. Yeah, some people, you know, in, in some cases... Render, yeah. In some cases, that's like, I made this fancy thing, and the other people are like, I don't know, I fucking put mayo on a steak. <laughs> Cooked it to see what would happen. <laughs> so, that's a real thing that uh, is actually recommended if you're outdoor grilling. You put a thin layer of mayo on it when it's really hot, and you sear it. And it just adds a really good crust to the steak, a fat crust. Huh. So, 
Yeah. High fat content in mayo. Exactly. It's yeah. oil. Like it's just it's oil. It's just like putting butter, but instead of butter, just a little mayonnaise, and you just bah, and you hit it really hard with heat, and it just crusts it. Wow. So, I don't. I can't vouch it. I think I did it once, and it seemed all right. But yeah. Um. It's, it, oh God, I had um corn recently. The that you put like butter and like spices and. Some type of, I think, kocha or whatever the... Oh, the cheese? The cheese on. Cotija. Co- co- it's like the yeah. white cheese. Yeah. And you kind of smells like feet a little bit, yeah. but it's really delicious. And you wrap, you wrap it in foil and put it on the grill. Man. It's just so good. Yeah, man. If you're in L.A. and you see the little Mexican, Mexican truck, you should get yourself one of those. A lot of times they have that. Nice. So. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. Have a good weekend. We love you all. Enjoy your three.